Welcome to the Five Phenomenon Podcast. I am your host, Shane Hayes, and coming up on today's episode, local film critic, local movie guru, uh, friend of the podcast, and just general friend, Ted Haycraft. But uh, first, what I watched this week, um, I'm still in that kind of a gray space where uh, um, even though the new year just passed, um, I'm still trying to catch up on other people's top 10 lists where... Uh, um, as I'm recording right now, the Golden Globes are tonight, but by the time this airs, the Golden Globes will have been passed, so you in the future know what I don't know. Um, but uh, the, I think I've seen everything. The only significant thing I haven't seen, there's one foreign language film, I forget, and um, 1917. I haven't seen 1917 simply just because it hasn't opened here yet. Um, so uh, I saw Transit. Uh, the streaming services have been very helpful. So Transit on Prime, I saw. Um, I just saw Long Day's Journey tonight, last night. Um, uh, but the, the most interesting thing I saw this week, actually, was um, uh, I, I watched Richard Jewell, and it went me down uh, Olivia Wilde hole. And I, uh, one of my favorite performances of hers is the um, very misbegotten, unloved uh, Tron Legacy. And uh, I got... I have I have the year of Disney for free through my uh, cell, cellular provider, and um, rewatched Tron. And you know, besides um, it's 2010, so the de aging between like say that de aging and the Irishman is very much more closer to uh, PlayStation level uh, graphics. Jeff Daniels is just very clearly dates, but I stand by my original reaction watching Tron, where it. It, it's a really well designed movie. It's it's uh, it's really gorgeous looking, and, and the the you know it's something to behold. It's kind of like a uh, forgotten Blade Runner level of, um, and I say this having never seen the original Tron, which uh, I don't know if Sid Mead ended up working on the new one, but Sid Mead, who worked on Blade Runner, also worked on the original Tron. Um, it's it's just a gorgeous aesthetic, and um. It's kind of annoying that more people, I guess, aren't talking about it. It's it's easy not to talk about the movie just because uh, the story is very very silly, and um, uh, I, I it just reiterates that my feeling that the worst thing that happened to Hollywood screenwriting was George Lucas saying in an event interview that he liked a hero with a thousand faces. So um, there's a lot of silliness in there, but um, as I mentioned, uh, we're recording before the Golden Globes because. Um, Tonight, um, I have a tradition. Uh, it's it's got, it's mostly been a consistent tradition of um, drinking while watching the Golden Globes, and uh, the the award shows are increasingly as I get older. I find them silly and short sighted, and their judgments are wrong. So I, um, um, but the Golden Globes is the show where it seems like everyone's having fun, and most of it's because they're drinking. And uh, this award show with most of it, so I've just always had that feeling since being of drinking age that uh, this is my way to join the party. So um, by the time you're listening to this, I might potentially have a bad hangover. So. Ted Haycraft is today's guest. Um, Basically, Ted is the exact type of person when I first started this podcast that I wanted on because the basic barometer seems to be that um, the best um, interviews I've been getting out of people are the ones who most love movies and Ted is always just for me been the model of a uh, real genuine movie love we, we go we, we deep dive he's also just 
one of my oldest friends. So uh, conversations like that are a little easier just because um, um, it's the you know friend barrier. Um, I, I, I haven't had a few, the last few conversations have been over Skype, so it's nice to also have a conversation in person. Um, but also just Ted in general is, um, he's, he's, he's one of the most infectious movie, people, uh, people to speak about movies I know. Like people always want to see a movie after talking to him for the most part. Some people will roll their eyes. He used to have a reputation for, um, liking too many movies. But back in the day, uh, my friend, I, I remember uh, one of my friends used to make fun of him for it, and we were all together after we saw the Thomas Jane Punisher. This would have been like 2003, 2004. And I still remember the pain look on Ted's face where he's also a big comic book fan, so he's just like, he got out of the movie, it was a bad movie, and he just looked like he got punched in the gut, and he's like, they're going to have some extra features on the DVD that eventually comes from this movie, and I'm going to have to buy it. And I'm going to have to watch those features and then think I should probably watch the movie again. And just the look on his face when he realized he had to watch a bad movie again, but the compulsion also that he had to watch a bad movie again. Um, in many ways, that says as much as you need to know about Ted. The other day, my dad... Um, brought me a bunch of papers, uh, just old papers, and they had, it was, it was ridiculous. So there was like a bunch of elementary school papers, and he brought me this um, Yankees coat that was my favorite thing when I was in second grade. But buried in there, it was, uh, uh, he had it listed as my first issue of News For You, the magazine I wrote for <laughs> as a teenager that you used to write for. And before we even knew each other, we were both had our bylines in there. And what was funny was, for shits and giggles, I uh, looked at what you wrote in there, and... It's. I mean, it was your it was your normal video watchdog that felt like it was uh, rewritten by uh, Jay uh, Ditzer, our old editor, but um, your um, video column was a list of your top ten movies, your favorite movies, and it's kind of amazing how little that list. It's changed little. I've heard different mentions, but you come back to that list a lot. Did you keep it, or do you have it handy? I don't have it handy. Oh. I remember. Um, I remember the one surprising one was Big Blue. You, because I know you talk. We, we literally were just talking about Luc Besson yeah. and Leon five minutes or five minutes ago. But uh, um, your your number one was still one that's been universally your number one, which is two movies. Oh yeah, I uh, I have to default to those. I mean, you know, here's the here's the the curse or the blessing or the whatever you want to call it. When people find out you're, you know, a movie obsessive, you're a critic, you're a fan, or whatever, what's your favorite movie? What's your, what's your number one movie? What's the best movie of all time? You get that, you know, and you're just like, how do you, how can you objectively, subjectively, emotionally, whatever, answer that uh, thoroughly? Well, condense a lifetime of movie yeah, going into I, just, I, you know, the one one you saw. And, uh if I guess if you know the desert island disc, if that type of situation, or if somebody put a gun to my head, I have to go to Three and Four Musketeers from the seventies, mid seventies that Richard Lester did, uh, because they just encompass everything I love about cinema. It's in those in those, in the, and it's I cheat by putting them both in there because they're supposed to be one film, right? But Lester's, you know, he's cutting it for the Salkin brothers. He says, if you want to get this out on your premiere date, we're going to have to cut this in half. I mean, there's no way I can get this whole thing done but it was supposed to be a giant roadshow movie and uh then lester saw that 
you had to get that. Uh, well, you always say it, it combines everything a little about cinema, but like, what specifically is about that? Is it, is it like um, adventure, star power? Because um, I, I mean, Lester's never been someone I, I, like, like the sound design on there. I'm, I, when I saw it, you, you showed it to me. I don't remember that being like an enveloping of the senses type. Well, yeah, but 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 sound design is a big thing. With the, what do you call it? The uh, uh, after the fact. Uh, uh, um, a, the uh, ADR, ADR, the dubbing. ADR. The, 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 yeah, Lester is just a he he he's constantly dubbing and post dubbing and, and ADRing. Uh, like the like the uh, uh, Faye Dunaway is carried in by uh, uh, small people. Is that the proper term? I I know I don't think you're supposed to use the word midgets anymore, but uh, you know they're back in the, they they're 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 carrying it in a cart. And uh, then you hear these little voices going, oh, she's put on weight, you know, and, and things like that. And he, he dubbed those in afterwards, you know, for the humor. He's con- so A lot of the post-dubbing is uh, for uh, for jokes and for one-liners like that. But what else in particular? Do you, like? Well, first of all, the one thing I love about it is the costume design. It, when you see Musketeer films before that, you see Musketeer films after that, they look like they're from a costume prop uh, warehouse. They're shiny. They're they're immaculate. They don't mess up. Uh, they look like you know they were done uh, off of a factory. Uh, what do you call it? You know, just by rote. And here they look very worn. They look they 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 get flipped. They get they get messed up. Uh, they look like the actual things from the 16th century. Um, so I just really love that. I love the uh, of course you said the star power. You mean. One of Charlton Hess's best performances, Cardinal Richelieu. Uh, you got Dark T- Oliver Reed is just amazing as Athos. You just got all this big giant cast. And then he does like really weird things, like Spike Milligan's in the thing. I mean, and it, he shouldn't really be in there, but it's just wonderful to have him in there for a little bit of a weird Spike Milligan uh, shtick. So, do, do you okay? Do you remember when you first saw it? Uh, yes, uh, so I watched in the theater with a bunch of buddies, and we were so pumped up by it, entranced by it. When we came out of the theater, uh, we were uh, sword fight, air sword fighting on on the bicycle racks and jumping up and down and doing gymnastics and sword fighting because we were just waiting for, I think, our rider for our parents to pick us up. I don't think uh, this is 73, 74. It's right around the time a lot of us were getting our driver's license. I don't know if we uh, how we got there. Probably our parents dropped us off and picked us up, or maybe something like that. This is Washington Avenue. Is this the one that's just right over here? Washington of, Avenue, Center. up down uh, close to 41 at Kentucky Avenue, yeah. Uh, Okay, so um, let's rewind even more yeah. back. Um, do you do you remember your first? I, mean, I, I could spend a whole hour on Musketeers if you want, but uh, what do you, what do you, uh, we got to come back and do Richard Lester uh, podcast. I I actually have heard you go an hour on on the Musketeers movies, Sorry. but I mean it's almost like I asked you a question and you answered it. Um, do you remember what your first movie was in a theater? Oh, in a theater? Gosh, in a theater? I, you know, that's that's so frustrating because and it's sad because people I, I would love to have. I'm keeping a, you know, I've been keeping a journal now, and of course, a big chunk of it got stolen. Uh, I, and, I remember when that got stolen. It was tragic, heartbreaking, and uh, I wish I could. I had started doing this a long time ago. Uh, I actually have a scrapbook. I was going to bring tonight and show it to you, where I have ticket stubs taped into the scrapbook, and there's one from Taxi Driver. Oh uh, wow! Uh, well, I, anyway, I've, uh, I've been doing a thing where um, I haven't done it yet, but I want to um, year by year. I have a ton of old ticket stubs, Dave, and I was going to fr- uh, put them on a piece of cardboard and frame them. And uh, what's what's weird is a uh, tax write-offs. I write like I all my ticket stuffs now go saved into my like tax files now. Right? But. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I get in for a screening or whatever. I don't have a tax. I don't have a stub for it. So right. it's real. It's real spotty now. But yeah, I kept every ticket stub 
from every, I never threw a ticket stub away. And if it, if I miss if if I if it did get thrown away, it was by accident. <laughs> so, uh, but I think uh, since everybody's been doing that, like what their first film is, I think uh, I want to I want to piece. I've been trying to piece this together, and I think that I have a memory of Pinocchio. Uh, the Disney animated Pinocchio, and I have a memory of the Marlon Brando mutiny on the bounty, uh, the, the 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 ship on fire near the end where they sh- they set the ship on fire. Um, and I'm thinking I figured that out. That I looked it up. They were uh, both the same year, like sixty uh, two, sixty three. I don't forgot the year, but it was uh, the Pinocchio was on re-release, and my mom, my dad was in uh, working uh, and going to school in Louisville, and so my mom had me at home as a little child. So my mom would, and I think there was a theater nearby the house, apartment I think we lived at. So I guess she would just take me to matinees. And so here I'm watching this giant Beauty and the Bounty, you know, I, as a little kid now, you know what I'm seeing. But I can remember that memory. It seems like I have those two memories. And that might be the earliest ones I have. Another thing I have is uh, Dad, my father, was convinced that uh, his uh, son needed to see Shane on the big screen. And uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, the movie I'm literally named for. Exactly. I'm very and, distinctly uh, named for. The what's interesting is that, uh, like, again, Shane, what it was, it's like 55, 50, I mean, it's like mid 50s. I think. It's well, the funny story my parents told me as I was growing up that, um, my parents were both born in 51 and they named my dad said they named me Shane because Shane came out the year they were born. And when I looked it up later, it was 54. So <laughs> it goes into the, um, almanac of incorrect facts of my father's so yeah 54 so they go how the heck is that possible but apparently my dad uh it was playing a drive-in and uh i was always thinking it was princeton but now i'm thinking it's mount vernon indiana or maybe mount vernon illinois but i'm probably more practical mount vernon indiana because it's closer by and i was talking to a poster dealer one day at the washington square mall uh oh no in eastland mall when they 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 would bring in uh, vendors in the, in the middle of, I mean, they may still do that, but this guy was selling one sheets and I bought a Bud Bedeker one sheet from him and uh, I was talking about, it, you know, Evansville and movies and stuff. And I brought them about the, the Shane story. My dad wanted me to see this and he took me to drive in. And I remember, I again, very vague memory of uh, the kid yelling, Shane, come back, Shane, come back. And uh, at the end of the film, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> But uh, spoiler alert! Yeah, for the uh, what seventy-year-old movie? Or but uh, it, he goes, yeah, it was it it was still playing the drive-ins. Uh, that kind of film would still be on a second, a third bill bill on a drive-in. I think I, I don't know, somebody here in Evans will confirm that for me. So apparently, my dad. Uh, so I did. He took me all the way out of town, forty-five minutes or hour or whatever, to see Shane on the big screen. And of course, he wanted me to. Be, he kept on talking about we had to go see two thousand one: A Space Odyssey uh, on the Cinerama screen okay uh, so, this would be significant and later. Uh, i remember thinking i remember him talking about that i don't know if we did or not I, that's the weird where thing would the nearest cinerama screen be well louisville i think it was might, might have been we had to go out of town for that if we had to i think i saw ben uh ben hur on a cinerama screen uh this curved screen uh it been, i mean it, it's not a cinerama it's not a true cinerama film but uh, yeah you, so ha, have you ever seen a um um a normal movie on a cinerama screen because the arc light has the Cinerama. Well, as it had been her, I think it would be that. Mm, okay. Uh, it was, you know, it's, I was going to say it's terrible. I hate, I hate it when I watched them. At I the, was a little kid. Um, but, you know, I other than that, I mean, you know, like I said, I can't really, I don't have a really, like, it was like, you know, this definitely, it was like this James Bond film I saw in the first one with the theater. I, I, it's all so uh, messed mm-hmm. into my mind. 
uh, I know one story I always like to talk about is how I saw Bonnie and Clyde way during its theatrical run or short or its extended theatrical run, and I it was a film I probably shouldn't have saw at the age. Uh, my, I was you know I was born November fifty eight. So this is what, 69, 70. So you're nine when uh, you saw Bonnie yeah. and Clyde. And my mom was worried I was getting too obsessive about it. Uh, in fact, I had, this, I had the vinyl soundtrack to it. And she made me get rid of the uh, soundtrack. I, I, I think she, I, this is how I remember it. I don't, because I don't have the vinyl anymore. And I had the Mad Magazine parody. I had a paperback book on gangsters. Jack Kirby did a magazine on Days of the Mob. It was all in the air. You know, the, uh, Bonnie and Clyde started this whole thing about mobsters and, and obsession over it. And I got really into it. And uh, I was like, why would she maybe get rid of a soundtrack to Bonnie and Clyde? So then I finally, the Collector's Choice, I think, put out a CD of it. Of the rape, rape, they, just re, they just slapped the whole thing on a CD and put it out. And a few years uh, ago, I bought it and finally found it and got it. There's dialogue snippets on the soundtrack. And there's one snippet, it's very, you know, some of the sexual innuendo is on there. So I, I guess she thought I was just like, maybe, you know, obsessing over this the dialogue sequences on this vinyl soundtrack. That's the only reason I can think she got had me get rid of that. Were she, you just in your room playing this too loud, maybe? <laughs> That's, I don't know. Because well, I remember when I was not, I would have been older, but something like Pulp Fiction would have been mine, where the Pulp Fiction soundtrack had a bunch of dialogue yeah. sequences on that. Yeah, I would have been listening to it in headphones. My parents would have not noticed it. Yeah, no, no I had no headphones back then. Oh, I was a you know, uh, little portable you know, mono, just, record player and... And or playing it in the living room, the the big, the big, the, the, my dad's stereo, you know, in the in the uh, living room. You know? So was your dad was you mentioned earlier that your dad said you had to see uh, Shane. It was it, on, it was on the big screen, right? So yes, your, drive it. your dad and drive it. Your dad was the main person taking you to movies. Yeah, I have I can you know name different people that influence my what, things that I obsess over and I obsess over a lot of different things. But dad is the number one guy. He loved films and he uh, loved movies. And uh, so, and I forget, you know, I, I kept going, why did I watch Marnie as a little kid on TV? Why did I watch some of these films? Why did I see these at the drive-in? I never, I like, you know, because, you know, I remember, and I, I think I even was a little conscious, subconscious about kids were seeing Mary Poppins and Sound of Music and Disney uh, movies, and, and I'm seeing these, <laughs> I'm seeing Marnie and, you know, Psycho and Bonnie and Clyde and things like that. And I'm like, why am I, and I finally remembered, you know, especially when it was on television, we only have three channels. Right. And if dad was home, dad had sway on what we we're going to watch. Okay. So then I guess what, and then to add to that, I guess I was a kid that would sit there and be quiet. Because I know my dad would have kicked me out of the TV area, watching area if I was going to be sitting there. Dad, what's this? What are so I basically, I guess at a very young age, I got, I was a, uh, you know, a, you know, 200% voyeur. Uh, I don't know, a video obsessive or TV watcher, movie watcher. Well, it's also funny just because to this day, when we go see a movie together, you, um, you, I, 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 I shush people, but you're the one that are just like the minute someone's talking. Oh yeah, it just drives you bonkers. Yeah, I, I don't understand, especially when you're paying this much money for a ticket, and, uh, and then they, you just want to talk. Or, and you know, um, yeah, that's uh, a big thing with me. But yeah, I so. Dad, uh, and I think we early on got TV Guide, and that we would go through it. Uh, it was a Bible, weekly Bible, to go through and check out what movie. And I would read Judith Christ's column. She would uh, Judith Christ had a column in the TV Guide every week about what, uh, what movies were premiering or what movies to check out and watch. 
And uh, did you how did you always have a TV in the house, or did you guys get one at a certain age? I always had a TV, as far as I can remember. I always had even back in the Louis before I was even five years old. Back even before. Okay, this was from back. Where are you? Where were you born? My uh, mom and dad were going to Georgetown, Kentucky, in Lexington, and, uh, at Georgetown College in uh, Georgetown, just outside of Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, all of a sudden, mom's pregnant, so let's get married and have a child. And so I was born at uh, Georgetown. We moved shortly to Louisville, and then we went out to Des Moines, Iowa. My dad was trying to be a salesman. That was a, what was the timeline on this? Okay. Well, I'll, 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 I'll get to that. It was back to Louisville, all before I was five years old. Got to Evansville. My schooling didn't start till I got to Evansville. So Georgetown, uh, twice in Louisville, and the boy were all be, uh, like one, one year old, two year old, 58 to what, 63. Do you remember any of this? Yeah, I mean, the Louisville stuff, uh, the second time in Louisville. I have a very little memory of Des Moines, but not uh, other than that. But uh, like I said, Evans, I've been here since I started school in Evansville. So Evansville, you know, for lack of, you know, it's my hometown. You don't remember Louisville theaters, though? No, not other than I said that, just that Pinocchio and and you know, the bounty uh, images blazing in my brain. But that's why did you guys it. come here? Huh? Why did you guys come to Evansville? Uh, my dad got a job at Welburn Hospital, uh, Welburn Baptist Hospital, as a medical technologist in the, in the lab. Then he was there all the way till Welburn got bought into St. Mary's, and he and he actually uh, worked on the, the St. Mary's campus for a while before he retired. What kind of movies did you watch with your mom? Uh, I don't remember mom. I, 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 it's funny. I don't remember mom. Mom would be up in the kitchen, or mom would be. I don't know. Was she not, uh, just? Not, but, was she but, much but, of a movie person? Uh, was she much of a movie person? Yeah, because we went to the drive-in a lot. We got, we had a station wagon, and the girl. My, I have two younger sisters. They get in their PJs. We have pillows and blankets, and and me, and uh, mom and dad would go, and I would. It'd be the three of us. I would stay awake and watch every single blasted thing that played. The girls would go asleep, and uh, maybe mom. I, I don't know. I don't remember. I just, um, in the movie going and watching, I, mom doesn't seem to factor in too much for me, but except, uh, I love this story, is, because uh, I think mom and I, uh, music, uh, we, 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 she always had WJPS on the radio and playing AM rock and roll uh, when we were driving around in the car all the time. Uh, but on a school night, uh, I think we even skipped out of a school program maybe, but we went to Theater A to see... The concert for Bangladesh with George Harrison and Bob Dylan before I was. Before you were, yeah, before you were sufficiently introduced to. Yeah. Uh, was but, your, uh, did your mom get you into the Beatles? Uh, no, that was my uncle, her brother, who was fourteen younger. Her half, her half brother, stepbrother, half brother and stepbrother, I guess. Uh, no, because she was fully adopted. Anyway, uh, but my uncle Bill, who is only f- her her brother, who is only five years older than me. So he was the brother I never had, and anything that Bill did, I wanted to do. And Bill was super counterculture. But getting back to mom, I, I was gonna say that it was just really cool. Uh, she took me to uh, Bangladesh, and that was mom was always wanting to. Uh, when when did this have been? The when it came out in the theater. No, so uh, I mean when did it come out? Uh, Nineteen seventy-one, seventy-two. Okay. I, 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 so you're like I'm thirteen. Bad at I'm really like... bad at dates. Sorry about that. And that, and of course, now everybody looks it up on their phone. Um, uh, I like the scene in well, well, the Ben Stiller film uh, when we're young, where they just Adam Driver every, and he's like, "No, let's remember let's it." Just, let's just remember it. If we can't, if we can't remember it, we can't remember it. Yeah, yeah. and they just sit there. 
Um, anyway, my mom and dad also took me to see hair uh, uh, when I was about ten. I swear, I think it was a birthday gift. I was and I was I think ten years old. Is there nudity? It's a movie full frontal nudity, and I remember going. I was like totally, you know. I, you know, like a Tex Avery cartoon, wah, wah, you know, and cover my eyes. And I had a really funny experience recently showing uh, Night of the Living Dead to my uh, nephew, and I forgot there's nudity in there. Oh, yeah. And yeah, just when that happened, he that. just like got up and like excused himself to the bathroom, and I was like, I, I, I hope he's going to the bathroom. Like, <laughs> uh, not to out my nephew on, on, yeah. on the internet. Well, you know, <laughs> and, and, and so here, okay, so my mom's a, a preacher's kid. My grandfather's a Southern Baptist preacher. So here I'm good. I'm, you know, we're going, we're very active at church sometimes. And then all of a sudden we see, I go, I'm taking to see hair. So you can imagine. And then my Uncle Bill, like now, this, like you said, that's good to Uncle Bill who got me into the, the music. And uh, he, uh, the Beatles, uh, Bill was, because he was actually, grandfather, the Baptist preacher, was also an Air Force chaplain. And they were stationed in England when the Beatlemania hit. Oh, okay. So Bill was right there. And my comic books also come from Bill. Uh, but he was five years older than me, and he was totally, totally uh, 110% into the counterculture scene. So his bedroom was just like a, a Shangri-La of counterculturalism. You well, know, like, and, besides the Beatles, what? Uh, uh, well, anything. Did he, th- did he introduce you to Dylan? Yeah, Dylan. I would go through, I would, I'd go into his room, and there'd be all these albums. There would be uh, Rampart magazines and National Lampoon magazines. Uh, uh, he had comic. He he was a typical guy that uh, did the uh, typical evolution of magazine buying. He went from or he went from comic books to Mad, and then from Mad he went to National Lampoon, and then from National Lampoon to the more esoteric and liberal radical stuff like Ramparts and other things. So he kind of evolved. Where I just you know I I, I latch onto something and I just have to I get really obsessed with it and I stay there and I go and I have to have every aspect of it. But anyway, he uh, so I go through his albums and there'd be like you know uh, who's this, and I, I knew about Bob because of the Beatles, but there would be Beatles, Dylan, Hendrix, Cream, er, you know everything that you uh, associate with the six Doors. He got me a Doors uh, cassette tape uh, when I was a kid. He uh, he was trying to I, once I latched to the Beatles, I was very obsessive about it. So he would try to break me of my Beatles uh, obsessiveness, and you know, and he's an uncle. I mean uncles. I know you buy gifts for your nieces and nephews. It's kind of buying gifts for your nieces and nephews is always kind of a it, it go it varies from family to family. Uh, my, yeah, my, my grandmother, uh, I think every once in a while would go, "Now you need to buy Teddy, uh, you know, a gift or something." So he, uh, so they're trying to break me by bills. He bought me Aqualung, Jethro Tull one year, and another time he bought me Soft Machine third. Uh, Soft machine. Yeah, as, and I'm, this is I'm grade school, you know, and I'm trying, and he's trying to break me off my, you know, oh, just listen to Beatles over and over again, because as a kid, my my love of music, my collection was basically Beatles and soundtracks. That was that was was a, that was my until uh, I that's a, music would be a whole other. Well, course. speaking of soundtracks, where where does Bond come into this? Because Bond's a big part of yeah, your early life. Yeah, very big. Well, John Barry, James Bond, uh, Dad, Dad's huge. Uh, that's another good question. When, what was my first Bond film? And I, I know for sure the Diamonds Are Forever. I saw that with my friend Rod Willis. Parents dropped us off. I think we were late. That would have been like seventy one, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's like yeah. And and uh, but I mean that's just a, a solid memory. Um, I think I, I may have saw Honor Majesty Secret Service at the Victory Theater. 
Really? Uh, that's what we would have played, uh, most likely. When did the victory stop showing movies before it started again? Well, uh, one of the last things I saw, there was a Lee Majors Viking movie. Uh, so I guess late 70s? Uh, late 70s, early 80s, maybe. Uh, they, had, uh, they, cut a, they actually made it a multiplex, sort of. Uh, they, they, cut the, they put a couple of theaters upstairs. Huh. And, and, cut, uh, and they took that out when they... Because yeah. uh, my f- uh, first time I ever saw Casablanca was at the Victory. And it was in high school, too. I saw I was late seeing Casablanca. That was after the renovation? renovation. Yeah, yeah. It would have been like a 99. For those that ho- for those are listening in, Victory Theater, is a, it was a Lowe's-owned theater from the 40s. Uh, Lowe's-owned... Uh, uh, it was one of the big, giant downtown theaters. What was really fascinating to me when I moved to Austin is that it's a little more opulent, but the Paramount Theater in Austin, I think, looks a lot like the Victory, too, which obviously makes sense because you have the giant one mig movie house in every small town. So Yeah, there's a, of course, like, uh, <laughs> it's... The history of the, the theaters here is really interesting. I and mean, we've got a couple of experts here in town that, that have done talks on it. It's fascinating. They actually did a, we did a, I just recently did a walk, a historic walk around town. They took us all and where all the sites were, a guided walk. And I mean, can you do a short version of it? Like, I mean, obviously Alhambra was one of the, would have been one of the Alhambra, yeah, but that's, that goes way, that goes back to the Nickelodeon days almost, I think. Okay. I'm not sure. And there was like Lowe's owned the Majestic, the Victory, and there, uh, there was, uh, you know, uh, was there a, I don't think there wasn't a fox here, uh, but yeah, there's. It's really interesting. It's fascinating. <laughs> of course, by the time I go, I'm here in Evansville. The neighborhood theaters, Ross and Washington, the the suburb theaters start the the pop up, and then we finally get to the the, the duo ones, like Carol's Twin and Washington Square. The pill like like look like pill boxes, but they have two screens on each side. With the the lobbies in the middle. Huh. Um, and then show up the, and then and the Steelers. Well, I mean, on, on the air, uh, my talk with our mutual friend Aaron Smith, I didn't realize that. I always thought that um, uh, the Steelers locked into the land on Showplace East, but he was like, no, that was a drive-in. Oh, yeah, it was, it was a drive-in. I, I didn't know Well, that. that's another whole, huge, huge part of my film-going history because I lived in the neighborhood behind there. Good Shepherd School's back there, and... Uh, uh, it was, was, a, was that one of the main play like your main drive through drive drive through drive through? It was drive-in. An Evansville Drive-in was one of the main drive-ins on the east side, on the edge of the east side of uh, Evansville, and uh, but I mean, should, should we? I, 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 we kind of just dived in on all this. So should we establish? You know, we're uh, both of us grew up in Evansville, Indiana. What size city it is, and. Uh, uh, you can. I, no, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, not, I just you know people going. Yeah. It's been it's been so inconsistent whether um I, this is an Evansville based podcast or not. <laughs> yeah, of course. The, I, a lot of times I get people Evans they get mixed up with Evanston. I don't know. It's Evansville. Well, we also the joke the joke in the Simpsons movie of uh, Springfield, what state it's in, like it applies to Evansville because there's like about six Evansvilles in the United States, something like that. There's a, there's a few. Well, it's just it's such a weird history. Evansville is in a weird pocket of Indiana and. In, we could that that could be an interesting. Uh, well, I I, I, I think I've cited this before, but we are the two hundredth biggest media market. Really? No, I thought I was gonna have you back me up on that because you. We should also establish you. Um, you. We'll we'll get into this later, but you are a TV critic for WFIE, and you've worked at WFIE for a while. I've been, the yeah. the NBC affiliate in Evansville. Right. Uh, we are like the hundred first market. May, okay, it wasn't that low. I knew we were yeah. like on the uh, one of the hundred or two hundred edge or something like that. Yeah. Um, Which is a big keep, difference. I, I've forgotten that. So what we were saying, oh, Evansville Drive-In. So here's the thing about Evansville Drive-In. Um, that's where Showplace East now. And Showplace East is probably the main theater now here in town uh, on the east side. 
and if it, if you're going to get any kind of art films or uh, exclusive runs, they usually it's always at East. Um, but the drive-in, Evansville drive-in was there, and each drive-in had its own personality in Evansville, and uh, I loved all, all all the different ones. But uh, this one, they had a this one had a little go kart track for a while, uh, and they also had a sawdust. Uh, Doesn't bit. it? Isn't there a go? I mean, behind East right now, there's that go kart place. Yeah, that's gone now. They actually tore that down, but that, that has to do with the, the drive-in. That was the Mentor Golf Course too. Um, so you could uh, we uh, the parents in the neighborhood. I guess they. I remember going uh, up to the to the drive-in and paying for my ticket without a car because the concession stand had attached to it a row of theater seats, several rows of theater seats, and the audio speakers inside in an indoor setting in the concession stand was that common see and i always forget why i have to always ask these guys there's these older generation of movie uh fans in evansville and they always they always give me the best explanation for it i forgot why but it was a it was you could get out of your car and go in there and sit in there uh maybe maybe if your car heater wasn't working or if you're it was too hot outside or uh, you didn't want to be crowded. I don't know. There was a good. There was a really good reason. They used to have crying rooms in theaters. You know, for there, babies. There, yeah, Ross Theater had one. N- not for if you were too emotional in a movie. <laughs> no, it was for the, the mom or dad to take their kid crying or making a noise up into this one room that was uh, had a big window, but it would uh, get the kid uh, the noise out of the uh, theater. You know, all I'm picturing is the uh, Peter Dog- Peter Bogdanovich movie targets right now. Like, like that's my like, like I don't know why crying room and all this stuff there. I mean, there's been plenty of movies that take place in the drive. So, basically, we could go see all these movies at the drive-in uh, without having an automobile, and and I, I'd end up be sixteen. Was know. it cheap? Well, it was just a, it was the same price. I think they charged the same price as a, a kid or an adult. And I think the first time I you know my parents knew that we were going in and paying for the ticket and going in there and then walk home. But we got to a point, and I hate to admit this, uh, you know, but we would sneak in. We started sneaking in. Now, I don't you know. You can admit that. Well, I, I just thought, I, I, where were my parents thinking I was at? I guess I'm going to be at Mark's house all night or something. And then, but, uh, or something. And there was a soybean, there was a, one side of the drive and there was no fence. There was a soybean field. And it was like an, it was like a strategic army operation to get, you know, we go, we, we halfway run across the soybean field and duck and get up go you know and you're just like playing the great escape music you know the whole time <laughs> and the, and there was a there was a security guard but he was named dewey and he was this old guy with a, a hearing aid and you can evade him very easily so we just like evade him as in sneak by yeah, him by or him he would and, and and then uh we just pretend that we're you know we're here with some parents cars or something or we paid a ticket to get in and they never asked for, i guess they never did ask us for our ticket stub or whatever cool. And so I saw a lot, a lot of films that way. And I saw a lot of films that I shouldn't have seen. How often a week would you go? Uh, I, I think it was in the summertime, probably. And I, I, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, I would, it just all blurs together. But I would see like the Flying Studers type movies or the Easy Rider. Uh, you know, I, 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 weird thing about Easy Rider because it, it came back later. To, I think, oh, that's why I know that song. And, uh, but Easy Rider and... And uh, uh, Robert Red early uh, Robert uh, post Butch Sinnott's Robert Redford fil- films and Clint Eastwood films and uh, all these things I just saw over and over again multiple times the Leone films which we haven't that, talked about that Leone. was going to be my big question but next. that's so one when... reason I was I was able to really become obsessive because I got to see them multiple times at this drive so that was a big education right there just to be able to have that access to that to a drive-in without an automobile and 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 my parents 
let me uh my parents gave me a lot of freedom i don't know it was i think it was more they just they knew i wasn't gonna be a troublemaker i knew i was semi-responsible and i i wasn't and i was you know i was going to see the movies i wasn't I've not go, I wasn't going out to drink. I wasn't going out to sneak out to do this or that or you know, these vices. It was, I wanted to see movies, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I remember when my friend got me the job at Showplace and I got to be able to watch movies in on film multiple times like that, obsessively over and over. Like, I just remember thinking, I, the luckiest, that was like the most magical, magical thing. So I alluded to earlier, uh, do you, w- uh, would Fistful of Dollars be the uh, first Leone movie you saw? Oh gosh! See here again. I wish I had kept. Something. Would it have been in theater or on TV? Do you know? I mean, obviously you're trying to recollect. No, I would have saw them at the theater drive-in. Uh, I don't think some of these films, especially in Evansville, the their first runs were at the drive-ins, like High Plains Drifter. Dan, I saw that at the uh, at the Evansville drive, the family drive. I mean, drive-ins then have this the uh, they're supposed to in theory be second run movies. Well, yeah, you always yeah they typically. Well, you know, I need to go. I need to read more about it. I've read, and I've come across some books, and I I'm, and I like I said, there's some there's some guys from Evansville that just really know their history really well about that. But uh, yeah, there was it was a it was not it was not uncommon to have first run films go straight to drive-ins in in, in certain areas. So. Uh, my dad loved the Leone films, uh, and this is just all vague. Trying to re- would he see them first and then have you? He go- probably saw, some of those he would go on his own. He'd go see some films on his own because I remember he he told me he he my dad goes, I had to go to I had to go with a guy from church, Mister Alcorn, to go see uh, Thunderball, and he was running late, and it was just and Mister Alcorn was probably just a casual movie guard. My dad. I get. I guess I get my seriousness, I, and I like my credit watching. I, I guess everything I get, uh, I get from Dad. He treated this very seriously, I, uh, or at least that's what I picked up from him. So he said he. I actually went and saw Thunderball again because we missed like five minutes of it or something, and, and you know back then if you missed five minutes of it, you, that was it. You know you didn't go back and see it again. Or, or even today, you know, most people see one movie, and they see it one time, and then they... Well, this is also post-Psycho, where it's not like you can watch the movie. You can stay and watch the movie on a loop. Well, as I was going to say, what, what you got back, getting going back to Bond, uh, Diamonds are... And we never did finish the Bond thread. Um, the the, the uh, Diamonds, we missed. We got there late. My parents, uh, who was driving us, got us there late. So we were able to stay and watch the beginning of it, uh, the next showing. Uh, it was... I don't know how close the loop was, but... Uh, we, we were able to stay long, uh, and watch the beginning of what we missed before we got picked up and taken home. Well, I mean, you always, like, they try to say that Hitchcock made a big deal about kicking people out, but, like, I don't know, how really well is that enforced on every theater? I mean, maybe well, yeah, not, yeah, maybe Psycho, the country, but, but... I mean, uh, in New York, I think with the, the premiere dates and stuff, they were really, that was a big shtick about that. But, yeah, but it was, you know, you've, you, I think you even mentioned on another podcast how uh, movies would just run back-to-back all the time, especially the grindhouses in Times Square. And you could people would just drop in in the middle of it, and then and then leave once they got to the point where they came in. Well, uh, I'm, we went to uh, the Bell Court a few weeks ago, and I mean, I used to make a practice of like buying one ticket and staying there the whole day to like see two or three movies. And I, I, your eyes are widening right now with me saying that. And like, we, I was like, um, when we yeah, got, but you're old enough to know better. <laughs> No, I worked at a movie theater. I knew that if you didn't, if you wouldn't make a ruckus, like no one cared. You bought your ticket for the day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were, we were going to try to see um, the Parasite and Lighthouse we saw the, the, that right, day, right. and uh, 
Yeah, I looked at you like, uh, could we buy one ticket or two? And you had the exact same uh, wide-eyed <laughs> look at me as you did now. Well, I mean, you know, it's the Bell Court. It's nonprofit, and you know, I, and, sure. and I'm an old man now, and I, I respect. I mean, yeah, I got, I got a, a, a someone lectured me on uh, pirating movies to buy instead of you buy them, and I, I immediately regret it. I was like, you're right, you're right. I should, I can rent. It's, I'm an adult. Yeah. <laughs> as long as I got a job. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, okay, you're, we're getting all threads going everywhere here. I was, let me get back to Bond. I wanted to say, uh, so I don't think I saw Thunderball. I remember my dad telling me about the Thunderball story. I want to think I saw you only though twice because I can remember the scene where Bond has the, uh, she, he's tied up and the uh, female cap, uh, cap, uh, captor, she has him and she, uh, or Bond, I'm getting it all mixed up. But Bonnie basically cut, it starts to cut her dress with a, a blade. And right when they get near the, the rear end, uh, it cuts. There's a cut to another scene. And of course, as a little kid, I'm like, ooh. And I think that, so that's why I think I saw that in the theater. Um, when you were a kid seeing a Bond movie, was it as um, risque as they make? It uh, was risque. It was action-filled. It was funny. Everything that the blockbusters are today, the Bond films were in the 60s, uh, they were the cutting edge. Uh, well, I, I mean, just they treat like when I was a kid, they treated it like it was still Playboy magazine or something. Yeah, well, the it, the, uh, the there were the last, very last Fleming stories were serialized in Playboy, and anytime there was a Bond film out, it was a pictorial done for it, and uh, and the whole philosophy was kind of uh, crossbred between the Bond films and the Playboy magazine and that kind of thing. And like I said, I in automatic service, I think I. Remember asking my dad. So this is why I think I saw it in the theater. There, of course, you gonna, no, yeah, it had to be because it didn't premiere to high school. I know, I know about all about the television premiere, which was a big debacle. But uh, uh, my dad, it was, I go in the opening credits. If you, if you for those you've seen on Imagine Secret Service, that I think they were worried that people were going to go, "Is this the same Bond series?" Because they had now a, a totally new guy playing him, not Sean Connery. So they had uh, film clips of the previous films in the title credit sequence. And I remember leaning over to my dad, go, "Are those scenes from the other Bond movies, Daddy?" Or you know, like that, you know. And then did he shush you? Yeah, <laughs> then we got quiet again, because uh, uh, I, you know, had to, I could only do that once or twice during a movie. Maybe it had to be very, you know, strategically timed and at a certain uh, level of audio level. This is right after the uh, they didn't do this to the other guy or whatever was the last, yeah, last line. Yeah, yeah, you know, this never happened to the other fellow. Then it goes to the great John Barry score, uh, my favorite Bond theme, which has no lyrics, and. Uh, and then the sequence going to uh, Piz Gloria to Blofeld's hideout in the uh, Alps and the John Barry just grand music and the, and the shot of going up to the Alps up the, uh, 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 the uh, what do you call it? The, uh, I can't think of the... I can, I'm, the lift? Yeah, but it's a giant, it's a bigger one. You know, you, it's the, where you, people get inside and go up. I can't think of the title, uh, name of that. Don't don't fight it, Ted. This word, the, the name's not going to come. So anyway, uh, I remember as a kid, it was being overwhelmed, and it, and, and it, uh, it being overwhelming as a little kid. So it, that means I must have been a big screen in a bit darkened theater to uh, at that age to be uh, overwhelmed. And the John Barry music, that's right, because I think between the Morricone of the Leones and John Barry the Bonds, uh, I just had uh, I it just opened that was my gateway to soundtrack music and 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 listening to soundtracks and music and how it. Uh, was instrumental into making a, a film so uh, even better than it is, and so my collection as a kid, like I said, consisted mostly uh, my pop music was mostly Beatles, 
but the uh, other stuff was mostly soundtracks, and it was mostly Barry and Morricone. We never actually finished the uh, um, the where um, uh, first Leone movie was. Well, I, I think they all melted together. I think I, I might have could have been the first time I saw them was all three together, because uh, oh, that's a long sit. Well, it's even longer with Hingham High thrown in the mix. Which uh, one? Hingham High, his first American Western he did after the th- after the three uh, Leones. Oh, you're talking about Eastwood. Yeah, I, I was talking about Leone. Or I got confused. I was like, is there a Leone movie I don't know about? <laughs> well, yeah, uh, but they would do they they mix and matched the uh, Leone films. You know, they, they the first two together, the all three of them together. They had a I have a one sheet that says like spend the night with Clint Eastwood. You know, was Eastwood the gateway to Leone? I mean, yes, uh, exactly. Well, I you know as a kid I was thinking you know I didn't know about directors that per se at that I, I mean I, I got caught on pretty early but you know to me it was all Clint Eastwood was cool the action was cool everything was about this film was cool but you know you pretty much just laid it all on Clint as the uh, focal point but I got a, I started I had a cowboy book western cowboy movies book and it had a chapter on spaghetti westerns or Leone and I started saying and then I finally started thinking wait oh it's because of this Sergio Leone guy oh the music is this Ennio Morricone guy. Oh, you know, I start and um, even though on my eighth grade term paper, our teacher had us do this term paper with footnotes and a bibliography and a whole spiel. And my, I, did, I got, a, I convinced her to let me do it on Clint Eastwood. Yeah, um, I, I have a really fond memory of uh, freshman year doing mine on Kubrick. Um, <laughs> uh, so, what was cool about it specifically? Well, uh, there was. Some, uh, well, it, it, Quentin Tarantino goes into this about how, especially once one time in the West, you can see how a film is directed. If you want to know how, this, uh, how, how. Well, no, no, not, not what's cool about it now. What was cool about it then? Well, what back then, it, it was just uh, seeing westerns on television, and seeing uh, John Wayne, and this is Potbelly Old Man John Wayne. Rio Lobo era, uh, True Grit era of John Wayne. I'm also here's this cool guy. He's got stubble beard. The poncho was so striking to me. Uh, it's actually a serape, technically. Uh, he's uh, smoking these little tiny cigars. Uh, he has these one line quips. Uh, the music would do these musical stings when he would say a quip. Uh, there's these close ups, and oh, it was dirty and weird. And the faces were strange. Uh, uh, you, uh, it didn't look, you know. Now I, I look back; it's not Hollywood casting, you know, out of L.A. Right. You, you got you got gypsies and, and uh, uh, Spanish locals and uh, and uh, all kinds of people being thrown in the background. It seemed like there were flies buzzing around. It seemed like it was seemed like uh, it was dirt. It was no, there was no greenery. There was there was no Native American Indians. It just had a, this. It, it was just so bizarre and different and hip. And it just seemed like the, it really hit, you know, I mean, I, I didn't know this time, but it was really hitting the zeitgeist at the time. Uh, and and plus, the, it was not black and white. It was like this whole, what exactly is this guy doing? I was so obsessed with that. I There was a store called the Art, I think an Artist Market, I think it was called, in Washington Square Mall, one of the first enclosed malls in, in Indiana, uh, historically, I think. Really? Um, and uh, they had some, in the corner, they had some, I, lack of a better word, hippie clothes or bohemian clothes. And I would go there every time we were there just to see if they had a serape or a poncho. I wanted a poncho so bad. I couldn't wait to get stubble on my chin. And I wanted to smoke these little short cigars. And uh, I still had 12-inch G.I. Joes 
and uh, there was a uh, Mark's Toys put out a line of twelve uh, 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 inch figures too, Johnny West and the and these Knights of the Round Table, and I had a lady down the street make me a poncho, homemade stitched a poncho to fit my twelve inch GI <sighs> Joes, so he could be the man with no name. Uh, the paperback books came out. I, uh, Were there any uh, man or uh, action figures or toys? Any no. Uh, stuff? The only thing was there was the, uh, the there was the paperbacks. They could, uh, 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 this one small paperback company uh, uh, put out uh, a movie tie-in for a few dollars more and Good Bad and the Ugly. Uh, they didn't have one for Fistful of Dollars. I thought I figured that out later, but I didn't know at the time. It baffled me. Where's the Fistful of Dollars paperback? And then they were able to commission uh, a series of news stories with the man with no name. Now this is not great literature, but I love the stuff. Uh, and, 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 and uh, I think Tuco came back from the good, bad, and the ugly in one of them. And, uh, so I had, a, and I, I was so obsessive about it. They would come out with a different cover with a different edition. And I would buy that if I saw it. And, and, uh, so I read those, uh, and I, then I bought the fistful dollar soundtrack, which was on RCA. And, uh, and then I got the good, bad, and the ugly, which was on a UA label. But my favorite one was Fiona's More of the trilogy. Uh, that's my favorite of the three. Uh, personal favorite. Uh, I know Good Man is, is such a you know great film, but I just love the chemistry between Lee Van Cleef and Eastwood and that and The Watch and uh, uh, El Indio is the bad guy. And uh, so um, I couldn't. It took me forever to find the soundtrack for that. There was. It never was. There was like a Hugo Montenegro version uh, cover version of it. Uh, he was a. He was kind of a. Uh, a big band type guy, uh, middle of the road music uh, composer guy that did cover albums. Of there was like a lot of people that would want the Morricone music uh, for the movies. They would buy this one album that had music from all three of them, but it was Hugo Montenegro's versions. No, you know, and I wanted the original thing. I had to have the sure the uh, the true stuff. So, um, was it you or your friend Jim Alexander that used to tape Bond movies on TV? But you would do the audio tapes of them. No, uh, actually, uh, we both did the audio taping. Again, this would have been pre VCR, obviously. Yeah, well, here again, I think uh, I, this could be a whole, you know, several podcasts about talking about the, you know, I don't want to be the, uh, you know, uh, get off my lawn, you know, kind of, a, you know, and you hear, you know, you always hear about old people talking about whacking our day with this and that. Um, but there was something about uh, there were no video games, there was no internet, there was no home video, there was no cable, you know, there was none of that. And so I think that's one reason comic books were a big thing back then. And another thing about movies is that when you became a movie fan back then, the, the merchandising was few and far between. So the best thing you could do was uh, 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 get a soundtrack, if there's a soundtrack put out, and get the uh, either the movie tie-in or the movie, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, it's, it's it's it was based on a book, so it's the original book, but with a movie tie-in cover, or or an actual a brand new uh, or, or a book that was written adapted from the screenplay with you know. Um, yeah, I'm a little more familiar with those, but all the things I've probably never actually read one. And, yeah, and then uh, right, if you were real lucky, you might be able to you know talk to somebody in the theater to give you the poster or an eight by you find you could find an eight by ten somewhere, but that was so rare. And so you wanted you wanted that movie you wanted to, you know you were obsessed about it. you thought about it you, you and you you had it in your head and so we uh, I got a cassette tape player when I was in fifth grade Jim my best friend he had a cassette he had real real he was he was even big more hi fi and we started 
I don't know if we got an idea from somebody else, but we both started taping things off the television. Um, so I had cassette tapes of Fistful of Dollars, Fistful of Dollars Work, and then The Ugly. And I would play those over and over again. You know, of course, I had the visuals in my head. And that was just another way to have a piece of that movie. But now, you know, now we have the Blu-rays and we have the one sheets. We have the, the T-shirts. We have everything. The action figures and blah, blah, blah. But that was just, a, that was one way to get to it. I, in fact, it was so funny when my dad, after my mom moved away, my, my, my parents got divorced. Dad moved out. Mom mm. moved away. Dad moved back in. When was this? This Well, this would have been, I was like uh, late high school, early uh, going into college. Dad moved. So late 70s? Uh, yeah, I graduated high school, 77. Uh, dad moves back in and he sees where I'm audio taping and this all it was just basically putting the, my speak my microphone up to the speaker of the television and I would have so my sisters would walk in the room or someone like you know I had, I'd go spastic because you know they, they didn't want people to be any extra noise so my dad saw that and he goes hey that's a good idea I want to tape some of these like uh, musical shows and variety shows and stuff like that too uh, that you couldn't you know find anywhere on a record or anywhere. So he takes it to the TV or repair shop down the road, and put a jack, an audio jack, into it, and then we and we got a cord, and we just went straight into the TV. This is <laughs> this is like whenever um, my friends used to uh, bootleg punk shows around town, and whenever someone would let us plug straight into the board. Yeah, like, yeah, and so I, you know, I'm just plugging straight into the television, and you know, taping some. This is and it's already, you know, this is early '80s, right before the VS uh, video. Uh, uh, VCR started coming into play. One of the last major things I audio taped was PBS had, ga- had uh, gained the license and watched played The Prisoner, uh, uh, my favorite TV show. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but, but uh, uh, you know, even though we had shared the byline forever, you and I we didn't meet. It was years before we met, but I distinctly remember I was in college watching um, a movie at Forum One, and when I was in the class with uh, our now mutual friend uh, Eric Braceman teaching, and I remember hearing some guy like a few rows in front of me talking about prisoner references on the Simpsons. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Ted Haycraft. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I audio made a big deal because they would play it three times a week, the same episode. And so I made a big deal to audio tape the prisoners because I wanted all, you know, all 17 episodes and we, we, we prisoner. What did it air on initially? Initially it was a CBS uh, summer filling for the Jackie Gleason show on a summer. Do they air all the episodes? Uh, except for one. Uh, they, they, the cowboy, the Western episode, there's all this theory, theory that it, they didn't, uh, they didn't air because it was, a uh, they thought it was some kind of protest against the Vietnam War, uh, uh, subtext going on that, but it's, uh, there's some different theories why it didn't air, but that was one reason. Um, we, I'd probably be remiss if I didn't talk about, so... Um, your mom, you said your, your your grandpa was a Baptist preacher, or so yeah. My my f- grandfather uh, became a he was a in the Air Force. My mom's father, he was in the Air Force, and then he got out of the Air Force and went to Southern Seminary in Louisville. Got his uh, you know whatever you get to be, to be a Baptist preacher. His first church that he gets commissioned. This is I think this is correct. Is oh and then. He met my grandmother, and she already had had my mom. He adopted my mother. Of course, we didn't know this. This is a long story. This is an interesting story. We didn't know about this until we were, I was 40 years old, that my mom was adopted. And we don't even know if my mom knows. It's, and my mom might have went to her grave not knowing. I don't know. It's really weird. But anyway, uh, uh, so he marries uh, Polly Porter. He marries uh, Pauline, my grandmother, and, and adopts, officially adopts my mom. And they get a church uh, in Litchfield, Kentucky. 
Well, who happens to live in Litchfield, Kentucky, but a guy named Hugh Haycraft, Hugh Macbeth Haycraft, my father. And the minute my dad saw mom, he uh, fell instantly in love. Well, I, I wanted to go down this road. That is a fascinating story, but it was more about your, um, as a child, you were relatively of the faith, of Christianity, or ba- specifically baptism. So the Baptist, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, that's, a, that's a, yeah, that plays into my, my pop culture, uh, upbringing too because at one point i thought i was gonna like martin scorsese i thought i was gonna go to the ministry um like full-blown yeah yeah i thought i was gonna go, go in be a youth minister or uh do something at some capacity. well there was a giant trip you took out west for the day after graduating high school i went out to uh <laughs> the summer of 77 oh yeah I... <laughs> and uh 1977 for those movie people out there you know what i'm referring to what summer that was i go out the minute I'm on a van the next day after graduating from high school to do mission work for the Yaqui Indians in downtown uh, uh, Tucson, Arizona. Well, I know because just the other day you were saying, like, I'm a Close Encounters guy over Star Wars because of this trip. Well, no, it's not because of the, the trip. I just, I, I, was, I mean, uh, I was, even, even with, I call this my Holy Joe period, where I was really involved with church, so secular stuff took a back seat for a while and but i was pretty far advanced movie obsessive movie goer and i was so here is i'm 19 i think when star wars comes out and uh, I, I you know i was very aware of american graffiti and of course i come back from that mission work and the first thing my the first night i'm back my dad goes i'm taking you to see star wars because i hadn't seen it yet and that so that's the first thing i did when i got back into evansville and with my dad and then Close Encounter comes out, and I just, I, yeah, I, it's, I, and it, of course everybody assumes that I, I was a, a huge Star Wars, and I was, I mean, I was a big fan, I saw it several times, I bought some of the comic books and the merchandising, I was caught up in the fever, uh, obviously, but I wasn't, I, I'm not, it's so funny that how, how many uh, younger generations that came to it much later are more obsessive like, than, like me. than people that were there at the time. Or my brother. And I, yeah. And of course, I, I have a I have a, I have a big theory that you know there there was there never George never intended to be beyond that first one, uh, but uh, that's a, that's another whole different podcast. Sure. But uh, yeah, so I, I saw Close Encounters, and I I just really dug into Close Encounters. Just the Spielberg's, uh, uh, I was a huge Spielberg fan. Uh, Jaws. Uh, speaking of Jaws, it's audio taping. Uh, back in the day, uh, they would announce this is the last time this film will be in the theater before it goes to network showing. They would actually do that in the poster in the ads, like Butch and Sundance. Remember, they, this is the last time you get to see it in the theater because uh, it had been bought for network showing. Just like they would um, do for years with uh, it's coming out on VHS or something like that. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, that's a parallel. So they did that with Jaws. So I knew this was the last theatrical run of Jaws. And it was, I went over to Washington Square Cinema, and by this time, I, I was on a first-name basis with most of the managers. Jeff Lyons at Channel 14, well, he goes, I don't understand how you never worked in the theater, Ted. And I'm like, I know, that's weird. Well, I never I never did do uh, uh, official work in the theater, but I knew all the managers, and the managers knew me. And of course, like, a lot of times they didn't like seeing me, because I'd go, I, uh, it's out of frame, it's out of focus, uh, can you fix this, can you do that? You know, Because I was just so uh, particular. And this is back in the 35 millimeter days when you know all kinds of things could go wrong, right. as you well know. Yeah. Um, I was, so I, was a I, yeah. I actually went to uh, the manager, Carol's twin, and I said, 
hey, would you mind if I came in on a matinee and I brought my audio cassette tape player in and audio tape Jaws? And she said, okay, she let me do that. So we, you, you asked to pirate uh, I, audio pirate. The well, movies. I mean, I didn't, I didn't pirate it anywhere other than just for myself. So I, I'm audio taping Jaws. I'm sitting, in the, I'm sitting on the floor of the first row with my other little cassette deck. Uh, it was it was it was a, a more modern one since the fifth grade one, but I I had a little speaker out, I had a microphone out and I'm recording Jaws uh, in the theater uh, well, audio tape. I don't know. Uh, officially uh, okayed by the manager, you know. Well, it was funny. I, the thing that comes to mind is I want to say the very very first draft of Back to the Future that was written properly in the in like three years after this, like eighty or something like that, opens with Marty pirating Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I mean. It was a Spielberg movie at that point, but that was a in joke, and I, I don't know where movie piracy was at that point. But and of course, Jaws to me, I, the, the reason I love Jaws so much is, is you know, and I think everybody probably agrees with this. Or I guess most of the movies going because they're getting scared and jump out of their seats. But I love the characters and the dialogue. So you know, an audio cassette tape of it was great because I could hear all this great Roy Scheider and Richard Dreyfuss and you know, gotta get a bigger boat and uh, stop playing with your stuff, Hooper, and just all that you know, all these great lines that I love to hear over and over again. So and uh, I, I uh, it was a thing to do till you know VHS video VCRs came along and. Do you remember the first v- uh, VCR? Or yeah. Did, wait, were you beta? Uh, no, never was a beta, and I had a giant uh, pneumatic one. You know, the top it would open up on the top. Well, actually, what happened was a friend of ours, uh, his parents bought one, and his parents went to France, Paris, or France for the summer. So we took over this guy's house, uh, and we got and we paid for cable, and we had a VCR and we had cable which had WTBS and WGN Chicago, and all this stuff, and we all took turns like you know okay Jim uh, Jim's going to be recording this science fiction film on Monday, uh, so that's uh, taken. Oh, Wednesday night, uh, Richard Lester's The Bed Sitting Room is on. I've never seen it. You know, God, got to get that. So, you know, I'm, I'm taping that on, uh, on Wednesday. And we all, it was a co-op. Basically, it was a co-op VCR house recording all this stuff that we uh, accessed. We also paid for HBO, I believe. And then at one point, we actually did our own film festival of all our, we uh, we taped, uh, you know, this, uh, one of the Bond movies with an extra footage off ABC. Oh, you know, it was Jaws with the extra footage off of its network run. And then we had stuff off HBO, some Bond films. We had some other stuff, and we put I put a little booklet, a little program book, and it was all it was like you know started at you know in the afternoon. And is this, went, is this college? Uh, yes, this is during college. So you went to UE, and you went to University of Evansville from seventy seven to eighty one. Okay, um, when did you started a film club there? Uh, no, there was the union board had its you know the the films that were shown for the students. Which they still do across campuses nowadays. In fact, now they do DCPs and they do films that are still in the theater. You know, like, uh, like USI does USI. that, and uh, I think you know, I, I, UV, uh, some theater. I mean, some of, because of home video. I think a lot of theater, a lot of campuses have cut back on that. That makes sense. But in '77, we had 60 millimeter setup, and uh, we had Carrie Minton was running it for two for freshman sophomore year. John Baker ran it the third year, and I ran it. We were the other guy my senior year. And we had popcorn, and uh, we would actually let other people outside the campus come in, which I, it turns out we were, I don't think we were supposed to do, because we uh, but we did uh, we did for a while, uh, and uh, we got cinemascope lenses, so oh, we would wow. show films in widescreen, and we actually got to the point where we thought, wait a minute, it takes a while to get that scope lens on, because we would show trailers. I mean, we did we you know 
when I said Carrie and John and uh, Evansville people would know some of these guys, uh, we were all film fanatics. Uh, I met Carrie and Dr. Roth, the uh, teacher the, uh, who taught film classes. They're, all, they're the first night on campus. Jim got a dorm. I still stayed at home. We walked over to see the first film. It was play. I think it was play uh, the Beguiled and play Misty for me or something. A couple of Eastwood films and one I had never seen before. Which is funny because just before we started recording, um, we, we exchanged our late Christmas presents and Ted <laughs> bought me that uh, the blue a Clint Eastwood Blu-ray with uh, four movies, including Play Misty for Me and The Beguiled on yeah, there. Yes, and uh, Doctor Roth is an interesting character. He did a uh, he did his uh, is I think his the as. Doctorate theses on uh, semiotics and Leone films, or something like that. That seems like a <laughs> fast, like semiot. Okay. That. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, I have him on an audio tape. So I'm going uh, imitating. Uh, uh, he like walk from Good Valley, like Arch, Arch Stanton. That's that's Good Valley Ugly fans would know what that's from. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, Union Board. So it was great because oh, we figured out okay, we we want to show trailers. We're going to show next week. We would show these things weekly, and. Carrie and John. John did a Bond festival all week and played every single James Bond film for the whole week. Uh, Carrie would bring in De Palma and Leone and Lester. And it would basically, it was an excuse to bring in these films that you wanted to see or you hadn't seen. Uh, and, you know, and, and kids came, you know. But then you would show recent stuff. Like we showed Alien uh, not too long after it, it played in the theaters. Uh, we showed, you know, an Amy Irving movie called Voices. The nurses loved, you know, uh, she's a deaf girl who wants to be a dancer and Michael Ankian wants to be a singer. And we had, you know, so we had current stuff mixed with the older stuff and then cult classics. And then um, it was doing so well when I got a hold of it, I got to do whatever I wanted to do on Tuesday nights. And then we did the more popular stuff on Thursday nights. So I did some really crazy programming. I did like uh, Dark Star with Zardoz. Well, and then, yeah. Okay. And then I did another night. I did uh, How I Won the War, uh, and Let It Be. Okay. What was uh? Did, did your Lester Love come around college? No. Well, it goes back to when I saw Hardy's Night and Help on uh, on television. I do want to rewind back. It was on television. You yeah, saw it. And I knew. I just loved. I, I you know I, I wasn't aware of French New Wave at the time or uh, the jump cutting and and crazy editing and. Uh, really, probably wasn't tuned to some of the, what was going on in commercial uh, filmmaking. I mean, commercials and TV commercials at the end, cutting edge commercials. But the Sea Hardy's Night and Help, and I guess, again, I just, you know, everybody has their own sensibilities they're attuned to. And I started, and this happened with comic books too, I started getting into the behind the scenes and create the whole create. Who is doing this? And how is this done? And why does this look different? Uh, as you know, there's something different about the Leone films or Lester films that look different than a uh, 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 Andrew McGoglin film with John Wayne, you know, or something like that, you know. Uh, so, uh, or Henry Hathaway, you know, or, you know, uh, and of course Hitchcock stuck out too at the time. But um, so I had, what else was, oh, Three Four Musketeers. I, I, somebody I was, I, I was really proud of, like I brought in Butch and Sedette's the early days, which is Richard Lester, and showed it first and then we showed a bunch of bunch of cassidy and what did, i i've never seen it what is how is it's it it's a prequel how, no i know it's a prequel it's okay. how is it it's got it's not it's it's a mid-range lester uh there's it's a, there's a lot of cool things in it uh it's you know it, it's no way you can live up to the, the iconic stature of the the uh the uh, george roy hill film okay but uh it's fun it's and 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 william cat and uh tom uh is it what's tom Berenger? 
they really look like the guys, you know, uh, younger uh, Newman and Redford. And uh, uh, Peter Weller shows up in the film and uh, all kinds of little things in it. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, so I had a lot of fun. So we, we, we made, oh, so we had the trailers and we would actually put Black Leader. We edited, we would edit the trailers with Black Leader to the first reel of the film. So that gave us, the Black Leader gave us time to get the cinemascope lenses on and twisted on and, and, and fixed. So that way uh, we didn't have to stop down or it was, you know, it took us forever to get the lens fixed. So we actually, we, we thought this through and actually tried to make it as savvy as it, uh, and smooth as we could. And we had two projector systems, so we would, you know, try to change over as smooth as we could from one projector to the other. And uh, These are 16 millimeter, though. Yeah, 16 millimeter. It was, uh, so we, uh, and, you know, the first time we saw Once Upon a Time in the West, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the longest version at that time in 60 millimeter was just, you know, uh, mind-blowing because I, I had never really my history of seeing that film is weird I don't know if I actually saw it till I got to college knowing that this is going to be the you know a, a magnum opus uh, you know coming out of the trilogy of the uh, lay, of the man with no name ones so that was a revelation so uh, when did um when did you start at, uh, the TV station 1980 I was still in college uh, Jim uh, Alexander my best buddy but uh, 50 years now we've been friends and we met in fifth grade he uh, applied for a job a weekend film room uh, at 14 and he didn't like the hours <laughs> so I quickly went out there after him and took the job and it was yeah it was weird hours like you'd stay late Saturday night and you had to come back in early Sunday morning for the Abbott Costello Theater uh, so f- film room meaning you would um, you'd have I would what, what was interesting was well first of all you know there would be Films I had to load up for the uh, newscast, and there was a telescene, and a telescene is like two projectors and a slide drum, all hooked together with a series of mirrors, and then they would have to flip flop the mirrors to see what which projector or slide drum they wanted at the time during the newscast, and the mirror, you know, uh, and the mirrors were in the center, and the projectors and the slide drum were shooting into the mirrors, and uh, so I had to load the slide drum up, uh, and slide drums would be the over, you know uh, when you have a, a, a visual graphic over the newscaster's shoulder, that would be a slide keyed in over them. Is this why, like on old TV thing, you'd actually see the image slide back and forth? Sometimes, sometimes yeah, if it, uh, it, it wasn't if they didn't do it properly, and then they had and then some commercials were still slides and audio tape, uh, and then and then films would uh, one projector would be devoted to the commercials on film, and the other projector would be devoted to uh, if uh, 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 news. Uh, footage and then of course we got to a point where we got videotapes of the news footage was lesser and lesser on film so i would go in there and i would take care of that during the newscast but also my other job was to load up the movies after costello superman uh, uh the late great the great movie on the ten thirty on sunday nights or whatever load those up take them down and then if they had been edited cut for time for commercials i had to go get the footage that was cut out put it back in Hot splice it back in, so and sh- and then pack it up and have it ready shipped Monday morning to the next station that would play it. Then we were on a live cycle bicycle. Wait, when they cut for time, they would do it station by station. Yes, uh, we well, would get mash we, it. We, we, our mash sh- line, or the or the commercial breaks would vary, and we would you uh, uh, the same mash episode would be cut different different ways. Were there instructions so, to tell you? No, like- there was a guy, Bob Clipping, bless his soul. He was a little guy sitting the, uh, during the week and during the day, he would get the timings and he would sit there and watch these films, put a piece of paper as a, uh, into the reel as it was going by where he would cut and, and then figure out like, oh, there's six minutes there I could cut. 
oh, there's 10 minutes there I could cut, and then get to a point where he had, he had cut enough out that we could play it uh, for the commercial breaks. I... I had to put that back in. You... I, there was a movie I worked on where we did the airplane cut of it, and they let me do it. And, I mean, we'd been working on this movie forever, and um, I did the airplane cut in, like, about an hour, whereas, we, like, everyone knew what the stuff to get out was. But I remember fighting over that, and I just find it so amazing that you just have a guy with a piece of paper in the office in the middle of the day. Did he, like... And, and probably... And his and, instincts and no, was no just... aesthetic reason for what he was cutting. He was just looking for the time. You know, if this... He's this not happened, even, like, saying, like, this is it a, be a good. It could be a major... I, I'm thinking, I hope maybe he didn't do this, but he probably did. A major plot point. Chunk out. Just because it was uh, six minutes in length and he needed, he needed six minutes there. I guess now that you mention, every once in a while, uh, I remember movies I had taped off TV, I'd be like, why did you make a commercial break there? That uh, was ridiculous. And that, this would have been, like, 90s. Oh, yeah. Right? It, it, it's it, got to be more well, ramshackle. I was doing, I, uh, one of my proudest moments early on when I was had more drive and ambition because you know as I've told you before I was going to learn everything I could on TV and then go out to Hollywood and I was going to work my way up the ladder and become and become Quentin Tarantino before he became Quentin Tarantino uh but uh uh I uh I did I got I, I got to do my own local recap of Ice Station Zebra they were going to play in two nights and so we needed a recap like they did back the old on the network shows they would do these you know professionally made recaps you know, the part two, you know, previously on, you know, not, you know, because sometimes these films would show sometimes several days apart. So they have these recaps done for them. So, and I guess ours was maybe a whole week apart, maybe, probably. And so, and actually, Zebra was a long film. John Sturgis, Patrick McGowan, kind of playing a, 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 a secret agent prisoner type character in it. Uh, great score by uh, Maurice Jar, I think, did the score, I think. Uh, but anyway, uh, I and I saw I, I saw that as a kid. I love that it was movie. It's it's a, it's a fun film. A lot of cool actors in it. And uh, so I, uh, I actually got to go in there and do the recap. And of course, my recap was probably longer than it should have been. But and, I, and we were do it ready on three quarter inch tape. So I was able. To, I was editing on three quarter inch tape. This is a recap. <laughs> Did you? There's a great sports night episode where uh, Jeremy is. He has to do his first uh, baseball recap, and he's got like it's supposed to be 30 seconds, and the whole day he has like a, a, a 10, 12 minute one, yeah. and they're just like, you put all the first pitches. They were all strikes, and he's just like, you got to know where the rhythm of the pitcher is going with. Yeah, I mean, I was probably the same way. I go, well, I can't cut out this part with Magoo, and I can't part, cut this part out with. So, that. so how long um how long into well first off um you started in 80 and has was there any gap what do you mean gap have you worked at wfi your entire uh, your time i've been there since life? 1980 uh okay uh, my, and my part-time grandfathered in so it, I, it counts as, a, as if i've been there since 1980 which i have there was a there was a short time there was an economic uh there was a little bump in the uh economic crisis uh i forgot which one in the 80s they laid me off they let me go. After they just made me full time, and I, I was devastated, and I was kind of floating around trying to figure out what I was going to do. And then, uh, then I, they uh, called me back in, uh, with, a, and, and I've been ever since. Ever how ever long? Since. Uh, what was exactly the story of how did you get on air to start doing movie reviews? Well, that's interesting because David James, one of the most uh, beloved anchors of Evansville, uh, which. You and I are going to be doing a uh, inter radio interview with him here shortly uh, next week. Uh, he's still around doing stuff like that, and he 
he always said, Ted, you need to, you, you ought to go on and be a TV critic for the station. And I just, being my lazy, procrastinating self, um, I kept on, I just never got off my rear end to do it. And it's, a, it's one of the regrets. I have a lot of regrets, and that's one of my biggest regrets. I could have started this much earlier and probably been, I could have been, if I had started when I could have started, I might have been in a different market now. I would have been maybe I might have been I might have had some books published or written. You know, I, if I had pursued it and became full time, because this is back when I when they were still full time. You know, a well known. You know, I just what was the uh, is it Owen Gleiberman uh, Entertainment Weekly one? I just read his book. Was it a movie geek or? Yeah, I mean I, that that book came out like about a year or two ago. Right, but, but he's about my age, and I'm I'm reading his I'm reading what how you got an Entertainment Weekly and everything, and I'm thinking I could have that almost could have been sort of what I could have done if I had pursued it because I had been off and on writing reviews and dabbling with movie reviewing and criticism Jim and I both had been doing it since grades where were you being published um, Harrison High School paper the U of E Crescent uh, uh, then there were some entertainment before news for you there were some other attempts at uh, an entertainment guy I did remember I did a review of Osterman Weekend Sam Peckinpah's last film and things like that so I've always been dabbling with it and everybody knew I was this big movie fanatic and, and I was encouraged, you know, I should take advantage of it. I just never got around to it. Then I think basically what happened was midday was going from half hour to an hour. And we had to, and we, and I think I actually, I, I, I know somebody's going to say this is wrong, but I, I think I was the one that came up with the, the day midday with Mike because, you know, alliteration, midday, Mike. Sure. Uh, but we had a big meeting about what, how we're going to fill this show, how we're going to fill an hour. Of, Do you remember when this was? See, I, I need to go back and see when that started. I don't, I haven't kept, I'm really bad at I mean, a ballpark? Huh? Like a ballpark? It's been going on. Was this nineties, eighties? No, it's not eighties. It's nineties, late nineties. Because I, because here's the thing. I remember you on TV. Um, I don't remember how long ago. I just remember. Well, the the joke in my head. It's funny because you know you you have good taste, but I remember always thinking that Pat Oswald bit about uh, all uh, film people in small towns learn what to like by based on what their local film critic uh, doesn't like <laughs> like doesn't like yeah because they notoriously have the worst taste and you're always mad that they had uh, the, like you just assume as a kid like yeah. they're getting paid to watch uh, movies yeah. I, hopefully i wasn't that kind of uh, well i mean uh, it, of course you, and the reason i didn't do movie reviews for news for you as you well know it was a month it still is it's and we have an entertainment free our free entertainment guide unlike with bigger cities is uh, weekly. It's not daily. And we we were we're too small a market to get no, press I mean, screenings. It's monthly. I'm sorry. It's monthly, not weekly. Right. You know, Leon, Louisville, uh, you know, all the different ones. Uh, they're all weekly. Yeah, because I remember when I did um, some movie reviews when I was working at the theater. You'd have you sometimes re- review movies that by the time it got publication, they've gone. Exactly. I was. I, I said I'm not going to play that game. I'm going to because everything I want to review was mostly films that didn't stay long. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, I kind of did the blockbusters, and that's you know, hoopy do. So I came up with the idea of doing, uh, uh, let me do video previews, which I enjoyed doing almost the best because I didn't have to watch. This is like what's coming out on video, so I could write about what was said about it, if, or if I had seen it. This is a news for you, but this is not midday with Mike. Yeah, news for you. And then I then I came up with video views where the stuff I actually did review. Uh, that was out on the video already, and then of course I started up some other columns too. That and then, and then of course that that's where I, like, who is this young, who's this little Shane Hazen writing all this word? Anyway, so getting back to midday with Mike, um, uh, 
I came up, I go, well, guys, I, everybody's been telling me I should do this. Uh, what do we do? I do movie reviews, and we can, I can come on, uh, you know, the show and and review movies. And I came up with the name Cinema Chat because, and then, of course, I, it's kind of a, a, a guilty pleasure type thing. I use the word chat is important because I don't really do, uh, as you well know, I don't sit there and do a really analytical breakdown, review, criticism, an, uh, essay with Mike Blake on this. I do mostly, I get a few, maybe a few words in about subtext or something like that every once in a while, but it's a chat. And, and of course, Mike likes to uh, chat with me as opposed, it's funny when I have somebody fills in for Mike, uh, they will let me just, they go, Tanner, so you've seen this movie, what, tell us about it. And they shut up. <laughs> and then I'll, also, I, I really have to work, you know, whereas Mike will, you know, keep me, he'll, he'll, he'll put a, you know, a comment in or ask me another question or ask me a question that's totally off the script and throw me for a loop. But that's Mike for you. Was it, does he, he, does he do that on purpose? That's just Mike Blake. Uh, I, I no, no, no. I mean, there's something about Mike's a very beloved icon. We gotta be careful what we say here. No, he's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I worked, I worked at the TV station yeah, he's, briefly he's for a few one, months. One of the funniest guys in the world. No, no. I'm, I'm saying like that's a smart thing to keep someone on their toes. Well, yeah, yeah. I just it, so every once in a while, you, you know, let's say, uh, <laughs> uh, he'll throw ask me. Oh, I, he hasn't done it as of lately, but uh, but he used to like he'd throw a question that was I I gave him a rundown. I gave him a basic rundown. You know, this movie with video, this movie with video, uh, uh, this is coming up with the date sometime, but the USI or whatever. So I'm hoping he'll, you know, hit that, you know, just keep me paced on those beats and that he's watching the time cues. I'm not looking, I'm not even seeing the time cues half the time. And, but then you're like saying, well, what about that film that, uh, what year was that film that played and uh, that had Steve McQueen in it? I'm like, ah, you know, and I, I lock up, you know. Um, well, you're, I mean, I'm saying that, like, in theory, it's a good thing, but you're worried about choking on. Well, yeah, you know, we, we thought we, we we did it once. We did it one time. We thought about opening up for phone calls like we do for the ex, ask the experts. But you know, you're going to get somebody who goes in. Oh, what was the 1942 Oscar winner? You know, and I'm just like, I can't. You know, I can't call that up on my. Well, this this begs the question for me. What what was it like going on for the first time? What got you the the gumption? Because like, it's one thing to say like I'm going to be a movie reviewer, but it's another thing to be like I'm going to go on on TV. It's live TV, right? Uh, yeah, it's live. Mike, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, I do two, three, basically two, three minute segments. Um, every time you've asked me to do, to maybe go on, that is a factor. There's a reason like, uh, live TV. That's, <laughs> uh, I guess I've been around it for so long and I, and I, and, uh, I, uh, um, did you make any kind of appearances before this? Just maybe some kind of goofy thing or something, you know? Uh, Were you directing the uh, newscast at this point? Well, yeah, I. Uh, and so I think when I started Cinema Chats, I may have been phasing out of directing the newscast. But at one time, I was the weekend director forever, and then I became the 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 the, the major six and ten director on the weeknights, uh, and so that occupied. And that was you know always uh, those were interesting days. Uh, I did Marshall Yaki's last Sunday night newscast, I think, for Sunday night newscast. Uh, so I've seen some inter- uh, interesting things over the years, obviously. But uh, I guess I was just used to it. Um, I don't know if, if I had been on. I've been. I think I've been right for news for you. So I was getting. I was in the mode of trying to think about this stuff. Uh, I don't know. I just. I just talked to Mike. It's a chat. It was informal. I looked at him. I didn't really think about it. 
and it's just now it just comes and now of course I did this thing with Dan Katz on Friday uh, on a, on my uh, on a Facebook where we just talk about what's opening up and Dan kind of plays my straight man to my uh, my lame comedy routine. I'm, uh, that's like the Martin Lewis of uh, Channel Fourteen. It, it's very. It, I mean, it doesn't seem like it gets high numbers, but I always watch them. And yeah. They are so they are entertaining. More people see that sometimes at the midday with Mike because you know uh, you, you have to go out. I do have uh, for those that are at all interested. I am archiving the midday with Mike's on WFIE's website oh uh, that's cool there's a tab for cinema chat you could click on that how far back uh well we I, it went back a long way and then we had a corporate changeover and so everything got you know kind of meshed and meshed. so it, it looked like when they changed over the websites and and the, and the digital stuff a lot of the episodes got lost in the ether so you didn't you don't have a i didn't back them up i, I got a i got a bunch i got my <laughs> bobby my engineer uh, roll his eyes at this i have a ton of them on dvcl pro tapes I, I, I used to roll a tape every time I went on the air. I'd go, I'd call my dad, Dad, I'm going to be on today. And I roll a tape, and then I go out there and do it. And usually I'm, I'm working. Uh, uh, well, for a while, I, I, was, I was doing office work, sort of a management. But I'm back on, uh, I'm back on just, day, I'm 40 hours more on the board now. So right now, when I go do a cinema chat, you're watching me coming, running out there from, I'm running audio for that show. You're uh, kidding. And then somebody has to cover my audio while I go out there and do I the thought chat. you'd gotten way around. No, we, we're, we're it, you know, TV is uh, head counts and stations and, and uh, coverage. And, so when you started going on the air, you're known, you've been known forever as a guy that's obsessed with movies, but did you, is this the point where you started having strangers come up to you and ask you opinions? Well, yeah, I mean, eventually, uh, slowly but surely, I would have, it, usually with senior citizens, <laughs> I'd be at McDonald's or somewhere and they go, have you seen any good movies lately? You know, well, just they, when, you, when you do the impression, it always feels like you go to senior citizens. Is it something? It's usually senior citizens. I, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't see the, uh, younger people ask me uh, unless they just know me. Well, already. back in the day when uh, I mean, I, well, the, the, the demographics for midday are, are senior citizens too. You know, for the most part. I guess that makes sense. I mean, and I mean, I wasn't, a, you know, watching midday at Mike myself as a. And, and, I, and I, 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 go, I go in spurts of trying to be a big promoter for it. And sometimes I don't. I go up and down with it. I'm getting, you know, I'm up I'm at an age where it's like, I, you know, I'm, I got less time on this earth than I used to. And I don't know how much I should devote it. But I, I'm trying to, to finally get off my butt and do some things that I should have done ages ago. Like, you know, I'm moderating some panels at comic book shows. And I'm, uh, I'm helping out with the film festivals. And I'm doing Q&As with people. And uh you know just trying to step it up a little bit i did i just I actually wrote uh, a couple of reviews for the news for you for the first time a few issues back really what'd yeah. you do local hero and uh oh this is for you're doing the uh, road to the victory series the uh victory film yeah festival uh, that's the, i'm curating a film series well i've curated some film series already at the library and now i'm doing one that uh, ties into the the victory international victory international film festival uh, but uh, at Local Hero, and I did oh, uh, Rolling Thunder, uh, Bob Dylan's Rolling Thunder, the Scorsese thing. Okay. That was kind of I did I, I had I had a really interesting couple paragraphs, but they couldn't. It, there wasn't enough space for. Wait, it. you're saying news yeah. for you randomly cut out a few paragraphs? <laughs> well, a... I do the I do the I do the word count, and uh, in fact, I by the time I started it, I was almost done. Uh, I was the word count was so small, I, I didn't realize. I, I was scared to go back into writing again. I was like. Okay, I'll do that because it's kind of a trade-off. I wanted to, I wanted another art. I wanted a, an interview with a comic book creator and the news for you. And the editor said, "Yeah, I'll do that if you write me a couple movie reviews." Because he just lost his reviewer. Um, and uh, who who is the? I don't know, but the, the, the guy who left reviewer, I met him. He's he's a screenplay writer, and he's he knows the guy who did. Uh, what was he? Uh, 
the African American film that won the Oscar. Moonlight. Moonlight. He knows the the director. He's he's friends with the director. Uh, uh, our the first guest on the show, Kevin. He he has some connection with. Yeah. Uh, and he and he wants to do a movie on Marsha Yaki, and that's how I I talked to him. That's the connection. Yes, yeah. that's the connection. And so I was, uh, I was, uh, uh, talking. To, I had met him at the people uh, and we talked and. And we talked about the movies and stuff, and and I, I um, he left. He's he's left town, and so uh, they needed a you know a fill in, and so he goes, hey, if you fill in for me, I'll do that article you wanted the comic book creator because I'm also helping out. Uh, there's a comic book show we're doing at the Evansville Museum show every year now, and I'm trying to get a, I'm trying to bring some really interesting creators in for that. So, uh, um, yeah, so yeah, so, uh, but I, you know, so it's supposed to be every Tuesday, every two weeks, midday, and then I do this Friday thing with Dan, but it varies. And then, like, if somebody doesn't show up on a Wednesday or a Friday, Mike will come up and say, "Hey, can you fill in?" So I have to do something off the top of my head. And, and, and I, and like here, I mean, I could talk all night, as you know, as you well know, as ever since we met. Uh, that's all we do. So yeah. we get together. We just we we uh, we can talk until like the sun comes up. Yeah, and all but, night, all night. I hopped in these things. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, it's no problem coming up with something else off my head. I just it's frustrating. I almost need to do. it. I like to have more consistent so that people know. Okay, Ted's going to be on this day at this time every week or every other week or whatever. So they don't want uh, so that the younger people or uh, more people. Would maybe tune in or record it, DVD or it. Well, so. I mean, especially since you put it on the internet, it's, it's it, that's the way. Yeah, but it's on the internet. Now. Yeah, there are kind there. So. Well, so I do want to talk about um, being in a small town. Like, Is it a small town? It's not a small town, but there's something it seems about. Seems like a small town, but it's not. It's too. I mean, it's not. It's like what 140,000. I I, I I always want to memorize that because people ask me about that when I say it's changed a few years since it's the frustration a, of. What we don't have here, and that we have two campuses. We're not. I mean, are, are we as big as Lexington, or just right under Lexington, or right over Lexington? Oh, I would imagine we're bigger than Lexington. So I mean, it's just for, yeah. So that's well, but there's certain there's a certain character of the town which it's it's hard to describe without being um, negative about it. But because <laughs> there's because there's certain aspects of the town. When I I leave town, I always. Sell to people that like you know we have a great music punk scene that like you would not know from being here. Um, there's obviously a lot of cultural things, but for the most part, people in town, I think I can feel comfortable going to other places. We are either par or below par for when it comes to a movie that, or town aside being interested in movies. It seems like people are not deep dive. The internet changed it a little, but they're not deep diving into movies. And I bring this up just because it seems like. There's kind of a circle of mentorship started when you were working at the book broker where it seems like you would always flock to the person that was interested in movies, especially if they were younger, and you'd always just be like, you'd, you'd want to pick their brain to know their interests, but you also would like to kind of mentor them in the in the film uh, film taste or curation even. Like, uh, when do you, you... You're squinting your eyes like you're not... Well, no, I'm, I'm trying to see where you're going with this. No, I'm just saying, how, what's the history of that? Because I know one of the... One of the well, fir- give me an example, because... I, I'm not sure. Well, one of the first ones I was thinking of was uh, the editor at my first editor at News for You, Jay Ditzer. Like, yeah. right? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Jay, it's interesting because I did this with several guys. Uh, I, I actually, I, I, it's not more. It's not such more. I, I don't. I don't even think of him as mentoring. I, I mean, that's if you want to use that word. It's. I'm so enthusiastic and excited about things I discover and I love, and I just want to share. I, I've always figured out what the hell is my skill. You know, should I have been a filmmaker? Should I have been a uh, uh, music? I I I've I've dabbled. I played I played trombone and been band and stuff. Uh, I you know should I have been a writer? Should I did this that blah blah blah? 
comic book person. I don't. It's just so, and I and I become nothing. I'm, uh, was a jack of all trades, master of none type thing. Uh, if it, even if that, um, and uh, so I, I always want to share this stuff. So there's a couple of things that always like like one of my favorite things of all thing, times is the last waltz. It's Martin Scorsese's the last waltz of the band. That's a whole other hour of discussing the band and Bob and Scorsese in this film and everything. But I made a habit of sharing this when I uh, a guy named Bill Weist, we call him Weisty. He started working in the back room at the book broker, and these young guys would come along, and I would go, "Have you seen this? Have you seen this? This is great!" Da, 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 da. And then we got together, and I would show Weisty the last waltz. Jay came into my orbit. He was him and some other friends were hanging out. They were called we call them the book broker groupies, or there was a guy named Barry Benny that worked there. We call him the Barry Benny Fan Club, and Jay was like the one of the guys. Uh, actually, another guy in that group is now all of a sudden back in my circle. He's coming to all the library films. Ronnie, you met him. I have, yeah, I have. Uh, he was part of that group. He, uh, and Jay, and Jay and I hit it off. And uh, uh, and Jay was the one person. Maybe this is kind of what you're getting into. Uh, and I'm not trying to be pat myself on the back, but Jay always said, the "Thing about Ted was he never talked down to people. He he, he just treated you, you know, as another fan. You know, we on a, on a leveled. You, you didn't feel like you know." Oh, you need it. I, I don't know what I guess. I guess that, I guess that's why the uh, you and I both. I, I probably could have chose a better word than mentor, and you kind of balked at that. Yeah. Um, so I guess what I we got together, and of course, uh, as you know, my my uh, household history has not been of one that can have people come over because of the way I my lazy habits of household keeping. So uh, I brought the last waltz over to Jay's uh, uh, apartment where he was living with his mom and sisters. And we watched the last waltz one afternoon at Jay's house, and his mom pulled Jay aside out and goes, "Now, who is this guy, and how old is he?" Because uh, you know, Jay and I, I guess, about ten years difference. And now we got friends in my circle. Uh, Lucas, uh, his father and Lucas mother, Hardwick. Are, uh, Lucas Hardwick, are my age. Yeah. But Lucas and I are, are real simpatico, and and we do a lot of things together. Uh, concert, uh, big Nick Cave fans, and. Uh, and uh, and again, guess what? I shared with Lucas the last waltz, and he loves the thing. I mean, and then uh, then uh, I started doing that with the uh, American uh, Martin Scorsese's personal journey through American film. I did that with the the, the Tri-State Film Society people. I did that with Lucas and Kelly. Uh, I, I have a tendency to just I, I just want to share this stuff, and it's stuff that maybe was it's off the radar. They don't know about it, or it's something that I know they will like. I don't try to stuff it down them, and I've, I haven't. I don't think I've been too off course and maybe every once in a while this way it's like well that wasn't that great or I, I don't know if I you know really like that as much as Ted likes it or whatever but it's been I've been pretty lucky with that but I mean when I saw your stuff you're writing news for you I was like who is this guy and then somebody told me how old you were and I was like really and uh, I don't know what call or what article caught my attention but I think the first time we actually we met yeah, at Best Buy. Best Buy, yeah. yeah. Oh, you're the legendary Shane Hazen, though. You're no, I, you, you, uh, I think I made a joke about Gary Groth, the uh, uh, editor of the Comics Journal, yeah. uh, publisher Gary. of Fan, Fan Graphics, and I think you, you pointed that out. Um, so um, this is more of an interpersonal thing between us, but uh, most of our contact is through uh, our, your Facebook cinema chat uh, stuff, um, or your your Facebook group, and uh, that's where I was kind of going with. Oh, this. okay, yeah. So that yeah, it still continues today. So I'm in I'm not I'm in Barnes and Noble. Uh, I guess I don't know. It's I don't know how long ago it was. When did I start the, the, the when did I start with this chat cinema Facebook group? Oh, um, it's it, you know time on Facebook is. Uh, 
That you know, it used to be you, you would put in the, the messenger thread and you would just put people in there and, and then um, it was kind of hard to keep track of the conversation in the messenger thread. And so people were like, make a group, make a group, make a group. Uh, so I finally did one. I got, you know, made, made a music group. I made a combo group. I made a movie group. Uh, but I was uh, in Barnes Noble one day, the 50% off Criterion sale when I, I usually The camp. glorious 50% yes, off Criterion sale. I, I camp out there and make my list and see and check it twice. And... Uh, there's this one guy in there, and all of a sudden he's stacking up the criterions. I'm like, I need to talk to this guy. Uh, I mean, I'm just, or like, hey, you know, or we just, you know, started informally ch- chatting, and we just again fell into this whole simpatico of directors and criterion and this. And then I made note of his name, and Donaldson, uh, it was Donaldson, uh, Boger, Boger, yeah. And then uh, same day, I, I left the store. I think I think I came back to buy another one or something, and another guy is in there stacking up. And I, I go, okay. And I started talking to him. It's Matt Helm. Uh, and uh, he's, uh, and we're like just talking, talking. And I, so finally, and then I met a few other people, you know, at the, at the, the theater. The Jonathan Helm, Chad Mid, Michael, Mickel, Michael. I don't know Chad's last name. Michael, Mickel. Sorry, Chad. Uh, and Jonathan Helm and all those guys. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, there's these little pockets of people that are really into film uh, at different levels or different ways well that's actually kind of where i was going with this um i feel like this group i mean i don't want to get too into the something that's a private group but it it feels like a microcosm of um a lot of what film twitter does right now or a lot of conversations online about film where you and you and i've talked a lot about this where basically someone presents an opinion someone says i like this movie and instead of engaging with the opinion or arguing it it's just someone says i saw this movie or states on the fact, and it just doesn't seem like there's an interplay or a conversation with it. Yeah, well, I think, it, well, that's that could be for various reasons too. You're at work, or you're uh, you can't you can't sit there and uh, write out your internal analytical essay on it. You have to well, it's not it. so much the I don't want a semiotics essay, but I just feel like there's there's this thing online that seems bizarre to me where people are just like <laughs> proving they need to see movies. Well, it is funny. I I I I uh, I, I, I see this a lot with Jim. Jim posts a lot of cool things on his timeline, and uh, and uh, you post something like you know uh, a poster or something, or you might say a few words about it or something, and then uh, there are people just going, "Yeah, I got that." I bought that, and it's like, okay. Well, I, I mean, I, I really, I'm not trying. I mean, it, it, I guess it's just a validation that you they support your taste, or they, uh, they they want to be part of it, but they don't, you know, they don't have the time to go into, you know, why. Uh, I don't know. It's it is an interesting phenomenon. Well, one, I mean, and I, and I found myself wanting to do it too, and I, I refrain. I try to stop, and I, I always made a point like people hit the like button all the time for articles I post, and I'm like, did they really read it? And I, well, they read the headline. Yeah, that's what I'm trying. I don't usually. I've, I made up. Try to make a point. I don't hit the like button or whatever until I read the article, because the headline, uh, there could be something really insightful and different than what the headlines portraying. And sometimes, uh, so. Well, I was doing this just because it just seems like, and you know, Kevin Smith really famously said that the um, internet apparently at a certain point just became about porn and people complaining about movies. So, but it always seems like there's um, a thing online of competition, obscene movies. And you, I know for me, one thing I've, you and I have either commiserated on or I kind of pick, you know, you influence me on is this thing of um, 
it, sometimes it's a burden, but it's like you have to see a movie just because movies have, or in the theater, because the theatrical runs are limited and you're going to regret not having seen it. And so we will see movies that we got a pretty good beat on are not are going to be mediocre or not necessarily that good but there's that possibility they could be good or there there's always those movies that you know the greatest of any movies the movies that surprise you and like i feel like that's been something in the back of, that you've been kind of influencing me on and you actually talk the talk on it you actually see everything too well i don't I, a I don't lot see. you see a lot but I do go to the theater. Uh, a lot of people go, you know. Uh, and you're also open whenever you haven't seen a movie. And you're just like, it's just this pained experience. Like, oh, I didn't see, I, I missed it. Oh, gosh, yeah. I still, <laughs> um, you know, my, my uh, Clint Eastwood, you know, started my obsession being a fan of Clint Eastwood films. I be, You know, I, I, continue, I continue to be a Clint Eastwood fan, even though I became, it was Leone that I, you know, was the really instrumental and why I think I like those films so much but it, it, it kept me on the Clint Eastwood path and what an amazing career he's had and I, I to this day I regret I didn't see Bird in the theater uh, it was played here it was at Showplace East and I had to go on the road for an Aces game at the, for the television station so I had a limited window to get into it uh, and I didn't get in to see it and I'm like oh this, you know because I, I was you know made a point I always been I want to see you know certain directors certain stars I want to see all their films and not miss one of them Especially on the theater, and it always it hurts me when I uh, I miss that opportunity. And like you, it's I think you were talking about this when we talk about it. I can't remember when we talk about it, but you know, as good as the system is at home, you still got distractions. And and uh, and when you're at the theater, you know, you inter you interact with the uh, you're there whether you're by yourself or with the other people, it's great. You know, I miss, like you said, the Austin crowds are great on weekend nights. I haven't had, it's been a long time since I've been with a really cool crowd. Uh, and now I'm used to the movies I see. I'm the only one in the auditorium half the time. So now I'm used to just being by myself. And it's, you know, and well, you, you just saw little women last night. I had a good crowd with little women. Uh, yeah, I had a, that, there was a few people there, but that didn't really, I couldn't, I, I couldn't feel them or hear them. Now I did see uncut gems a few days ago and it was a kind of a really weird and rowdy crowd and I could hear them checking out. They couldn't stay with the last, but it, two hours was enough for them. And they were almost checking, I could feel them checking out the last 20, 30 minutes of the film. I, I mentioned this on a previous episode, but I had the most perfect crowd for Uncut Gems. Like, it was sold out. It was the AMC, uh, Lincoln, Lincoln Center and... Uh, yeah, so oh, yeah. I have tr- I, I have trouble. I, I, in fact, you know, that. it's been so long I missed that. Uh, I, I don't. I mean, that used to be the thing. You know, that was that's you know, you get into the hoity-toity uh, essays about cinema going. That's you know, the community and being with people and in the dark. And uh, there's something to be said about it. I mean, I don't want to get you know super highbrow about it, but uh, you know, it's but it's all changing. You know, um, everything keeps on changing. Uh, uh, the streaming services, uh, the home. The home uh, video market uh, and, and your setups can be just almost better than what you're seeing in the theater and everything else. So uh, it, whatever makes it works for you, you just got to catch your own path. I mean, going back to those, you know, uh, fellow film fans, it's like it's 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 so funny. And I had I got to really watch myself because, it, you know, you find you find another you find a new friend or you you talk to other people at work and they're just low movies. They just oh, I love it. But then you find out. It's their 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 scope of what they like is very small, because that they're just you know that that's the kind of moviegoer they are. They they, they see the blockbusters or the ones the big marketing films, the big commercial films, or something that somebody recommended to them. But then 
you go, hey, well, did you see? Uh, it makes reminds me of the Sigmund Bergman film. They don't even know who Bergman is, maybe. Or, or did you see the uh, the? You, oh, you saw Uncut Gems. Did you see the previous film, Good Time? Uh, no, I never even heard of it. Yeah, and you find out, you know, and then you can't. It's frustrating because they're not at the level you're at. Well, we've always had this conversation about the high low. Like it's yeah. it's it's hard to find find. Maybe that's the problem in town. It's not that people like movies in town. It's just it's yeah. hard to find the good high low people who like high art and low art movies. Yeah, and, and then then you can start getting like that's always dangerous because they go, oh, Ted's a high, you know, already told you, I judgmental or egotistical. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be that. We, I, 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 and I can talk Ghostbusters and Star Wars and. And, uh, you know, Marvel movies, you know, just as well as like, but I want to also go over here and talk about the Safdie brothers or, uh, you know, Terrence Malick or, you know, uh, what, what Soderbergh's up to or whatever, you know. Okay. Um, I know the, another struggle you always have in this market is um, you're always pushing with this theatrical window just because if the numbers go up, in theory, we're going to get better, uh, smaller market or movies or smaller. It's a business. And it's going to make money. And like the Steelers who run the show place, it's a, they're a mom and pop. They don't have a corporate backup. So you, well, my point being, like, you always seem to be frustrated with the, we were talking about this earlier, the people that come out for uh, the one indie movie a year. Oh, yeah. Well, a bunch of my buddies, all the friends, they, 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 they go, and I do it too. We go down to Nashville, the Belcourt uh, Art House Theater in, in Nashville. Uh, we go out of our, we'll go travel out of our way to go see a movie. Then uh, Eric Braysmith were bringing some films that didn't play. He brought in a, uh, uh, not a uh, the Japanese film. Um, oh, um, not Parasite and Burning, but the but the family that uh, shoplifters. Shoplifters. It didn't play here. I, I it was on everybody's top ten list. Uh, what two years ago or whatever it was. About a year ago, I think. Two or three years ago, and then uh, Eric brought it in at USI DCP uh, Stadium seating at the, at the Forum One in USI, and nobody you know the same handful of people came out. But I'm thinking. Where were these people that love this kind of film and want to see it? Of course, some of them had seen it already. Yeah, like, you know, yeah I saw it already. Yeah, some had seen it on streaming or home video. But here's a chance to see it on the big screen. And the bonus of a discussion afterwards. I mean, I love that kind of stuff. Some people don't. It's not their cup of tea. And that's another I'm, thing. Some I might the, be one of those that it's not my cup of tea sometimes. I, that's what I... That, well, but we do... Well, you and I do it all the time, so I don't understand. Well, it, it's not that. It's... Um, I don't know. Sometimes I... You don't want to... Well, because you get, you get a couple of air at... People. No, no, no. Eric's uh, Eric Brazen's no, no, conversation. Errant, errant people. Errant. E r r a n t. Some people just want well, just like to hear the sound of their voice and not really adding to the discussion. Is that what? Or that's that a little bit of it. There's a yeah, yeah. Actually, that's probably as good <laughs> descriptions are. But you know, that just yeah, you gotta take that. Yeah, it comes to the territory. Uh, but you know, I I see a lot of people talk to talk, but they don't walk the walk uh, sometimes. Um, uh, that's the exact I'm, phrase I was thinking. I'm, I'm, I, I have to say, I, I don't want to, I guess I should toot my own horn here, but I think I'm bringing some interesting choices from my film series at the library. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a projected system. It's Blu-ray. It's something, you know, it's not state-of-the-art, uh, cutting edge. Uh, I'd love to do it in a, you know, a theater or whatever. But we, I, I do a little homework for it, and I, and I do a full opening statement, so I, and I try to lead a discussion afterwards, throw in some of my thoughts, and, and I help hear what people thought of it. And it's just like the same three or four people showing up every time. And, of course, I know people have jobs. They have night jobs. They have families. They have kids. I understand that. And that that's part, that plays into it. But I, it'd be nice to see some of my so-called film, my friends that are really in the film to come out and not only support it, but to get, I get, I'd like to hear to get a discussion with them as opposed to, you know, trying to do it on Facebook or whatever. Okay. Well, 
uh, to start to wind down, I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned regrets earlier. Um, how much, I mean, you mentioned you regret not, you know, just the opportunities that you may have been able to get by either being in a bigger market or you could have gone out to LA and worked in the film industry or stuff like that. Like you always talk to me about this. How much do you really regret it? Cause I mean, the thing of it is, I remember you told me one time that someone, it was someone in your family said that, um, um, you're most content or like you always come in with a bag. You bought something. My father, I always come, I came, I always would come home with uh, I bought something you know a new comic a new magazine a new book a videotape whatever always came home never came home with the hand you strike me as someone who's never bored you strike me as someone that like always has like something to read with you no yeah it's 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 amazing and it's even worse now no I I my dad well my dad my dad would say there is no reason in the world for anybody to ever say they are bored really and my dad said that i mean i'm, I'm, I'm sure it's not and that's something that you clearly clearly took that to heart and uh you know i'm thinking you know even you know even i knew i was gonna be able to do this and we, i don't know you know, we, i don't know if we're gonna even have time to watch something but i'm also thinking when i get home i got that i got the that don rosa book to read i go oh, i got that stacked over there i was gonna try to start reading this graphic novel last night Oh, then this movie opens up. Oh, the Golden Globes are Sunday night. You know, it's just it's just constant, constant. Right. And and people go, Ted, you have. And everybody gets on me for. Not, I'm way behind on streaming television, but I just can't. Uh, I, I'm surviving right now without Wi-Fi at my house. Right. Nobody can. Everybody's just cannot believe I'm. I'm yeah. Ted I hate crap of all people. I should have mentioned that earlier because I know when I tell people Ted doesn't have internet at his house, there's a jaw dropping effect. But it, usually, if you saw all the material I have in my house, uh, I have enough. I have enough Blu-rays and DVDs and books in my house right now that I, I will never be able to finish before I die. My point, I guess, is that if you take away this idea that maybe you had as a kid that you wanted to be a filmmaker or how long or ever one, if you, if you take that out of the way, you seem like a relatively content person. I mean, sometimes you... you... It's all false. It's all facade. <laughs> No, no. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm in the broader sense. Like, I'm just very lazy. That's a, you know, you gotta understand. I, I, you know, that's a, that's one of yeah. My but best if you, but if you, but there's certain things you've done in your life where you overcame that laziness. So. Yeah, and then when you do it, you go, oh wow, this really feels good. I should do more of this. And then I go back. Oh, I'll sleep for twelve hours again. Uh, but you know, I know how. Tell. I mean, well, I've heard your stories. You know, with your filmmaking stories. When I, you know, I thought, oh my gosh, I can't. Shane's doing what I wanted to do. And then I hear all the, the horror stories, and and, and I see your, your evolution of your career. I'm like, uh, yeah, but I, I'm here. I am at home, trying to do my diet coke and enjoying my books and reading my movies, and not having to put up with the headaches of trying to get that next gig, editing gig, or the uh, coming up with uh, fine tune that script and get it, trying to find a crew and get the budget going. And da 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 da. Uh, that's you know. So I don't know. I uh, maybe I am content. Maybe I shouldn't be regretful. And I, I've gotten to do, you know, and I said I've stepped it up a little bit lately. I've been trying to be more proactive, uh, curating film series, getting involved with film festivals, moderating comic book panels, trying to put all this stuff in my head. Uh, I think it's so funny that, we, you know, initially before Internet, I guess all of us were, we were, we were walking live IMBD Google uh, Human and Flesh. Um, yeah. Uh, now mm -hmm. you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to retain it. But I, I, I you know, I'm trying to retain it and try to, uh, uh, put it to use, you know. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? 
Or any questions? You, did you have any questions for me? Did we even accomplish what? You, what? What was the point of having me on? What was your? What is? What was? I your, think this what is. What was the ten acre? I am. I am perfectly content with this. This really? so far. Yeah. I, no, this I, is exactly I don't know how anybody would find this. Uh, and and and, the, and then my friends are going to say we've heard this all before. This is not. This is a whole hour of Ted that we've heard fifty thousand times. You know, one really thing I'm really liking about the podcast so far that even if we, you know, three people listen to it is, um, especially when I have friends on, I just like the idea of archiving, like a good just chat with. Well, that's true. I guess you archive these stories I have told over and over again if they're worth archiving. That's the thing. Uh, but I do. Uh, think you know i think you're gonna have some interesting people coming up that I, I would i'm looking i want to hear i i would have loved to talk to you of course i got, i did get to talk to this one person quite a while that you're going to be interviewing here shortly yeah uh and uh but uh but then again sometimes you you get these people you meet you sometimes it's not the best thing to meet your heroes or talk to them they, I, it, they all vary you know they have some are talkative and some are not and, but uh i you know i, I love you know uh I'm just looking. I'm down here looking at your movie collection, and I just want to go through it and talk to you about it. I'm like, well, why do you have that here? Or where's this? Why is this missing? Or why do you have this format? Why don't you have the upgrade Blu-ray of this? Blah blah blah. I, and I, that could be a whole night here doing that. Well, that's the glorious thing about this is uh, the plan is that. Uh, well, I should mention that initially the idea for the podcast was something we were going to do together, and then yeah, and, and he dumped me. <laughs> Hey, well, the, I am, I am, I'm a, a spurred lover. Well, uh, yeah, I've done like six episodes, and I've seen you two times since then. And I wonder why. Oh no. No. And then, and then I was in New York for half that time, and yeah. But um, the plan is that you're going to be on oh, consistently. I am? Okay. Yeah. Well, well, well there's there's definitely going to be people that I already got uh, in line. That I'm ch- I want to uh, hit up, and I'm like. I may just sit back and let Ted ask all the questions on these on this one. There's gonna be there's gonna be some coming up that hopefully that happens. But yeah, um, but yeah, it's just you know, and I like I said that the I don't know if I really we we were our conversation today was kind of bouncing everywhere around, and we I think we left some things uh, unsettled a little bit, uh, but that's okay because like I said, who really cares? It might be very boring, you know, my whole Leone obsession, Richard Lester. I'm 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 very proud that we got through this, and there's been like five mentions of Dylan. That uh, Bob Dylan alone, that alone. And we have uh, we did mention Dylan, but we have there's one other person we haven't mentioned that. Uh, and let's leave that one a mystery. Okay, there is usually at the, at the showcase showplace East lobby, uh, the discussion always says Bob Dylan, Leone. Uh, I was just not going to say. It. I'm not going to say it, but uh, I'm going to say the ones we did mention: Dylan, Leone. Is it and is uh, yeah, I think that's. That's, Tarantino, maybe, but I don't. Well, know. no, that's that's good. So but there is one person we haven't discussed that. Uh, well, we'll, we we'll have a, we'll have to have another show with that. So, yes. Ted Haycraft, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. Okay, Shane, thank you. Okay, Shane. Shane, come back. Shane, <laughs> come back, please. <laughs>